Hello there, my friends. This is Spencer Michelle, and uh, welcome to the Mercury Retrograde edition of the the live stream. <laughs> Sorry, I have to laugh. Um, I'm joined here by my good friend S.J. Anderson. We're going to be talking about the uh, full moon lunar eclipse in Scorpio three today. I so very much appreciate all of you hanging with us. We're we're starting this about thirty minutes after our originally scheduled time. Um, but uh, yeah, here we are. We made it. So thank you so much for for everybody for hanging in there, for keeping the faith and um, being part of this uh, live stream here today. Welcome, SJ. How you doing, my friend? I'm doing wonderful. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Spencer. It's very kind of you to ask me to join you and I'm um, doing well. You know, uh, first day of Jupiter and Aries. I felt a lot of uh, that today. Just the subtleties of that in the background when you're interfacing with the uh, world of non-astrologers. I could really feel it and see it. So I'm really excited about it and doing really wonderful. So yeah, excellent. Excellent. Um, I want to hear more about your astrological journey in a second, but I wanna, for those of you who are here today, let us know that you're here in the chat box. Let us know where you're coming from. Um, all around the world, we have guests, uh, SJ, and, and you, you are one of our international friends as well. So super, super cool. I'm super excited about this. Uh, so I'm seeing that Raven is here. Remco is joining us from the Netherlands. Lynn is here, I believe, from Vermont. <laughs> I almost have memorized where people are coming from, either Iowa or Vermont. Taria is here. Michelle, Michelle Corbizer, hi. Nice to see you as well. Jackie Fox is stopping in. Taria from Finland. We've got Finland people stopping in here. Uh, Rachel was here. Jennifer was here from Florida. Um, just very excited that all of you are here and joining us. Uh, really um, very, very blessed that, that all of you are. Belgium, Michelle is joining us from, that all of you are coming to us from your corner of the world. Uh, hopefully we'll do some justice to uh, the astrology today for you. Um, and Stella is here from Arizona, Aligning Light, Claire Moon, Dr. Claire Moon is here from Illinois. That's very cool. Gail is joining us from Michigan. Hello, Gail from uh, my corner of the world to yours. Um, all right, so we've got a lot of great people in the chat. We've got people that came back after the Mer Mercury retrograde snafu. This is what you get for scheduling a live stream with Mercury on the midheaven. <laughs> it's <laughs> retrograde. Um, okay, but you know, so it goes. All right, so SJ, you know, I met you at UAC 2018 and was really impressed with just your astrological knowledge, with just your energy and your vibe. I'm so, so very glad that we've been able to to connect in this way here. Um, why don't you tell the folks out there a little bit more about yourself, your journey, um, where people can find you, services that you have, anything SJ? You got it, you got it, yeah. And I um, maybe I'll get that last part out of the way first. My website is sjanderson144.com and that's where everything SJ can be found. I do natal readings, I do, I'm a consulting astrologer. Um, so I that's, one thing that if people want to see me or be with me when you go to my website that's what it's basically there for but i'm also all over, all over astro social media so i have a youtube channel where i have a weekly astrological uh, video or conversation uh, twitter is one of my favorite places online um, people can find me there and instagram i'm doing a little bit more astrology um, and some photography that i do on instagram so that's where they can find me 
Um, to come back, you know, it's so funny you mentioned UAC. I've been thinking a lot about UAC 2018 in the recent days, particularly Dr. Robert Hand, yeah. who that's when I first really became aware of you because you actually got a reading from Dr. Hand at UAC Live. And it was so powerful. I remember just how I could see how you were kind of being enlivened by his delineations. And it was like a nice confirmation reading, I think, right as you were kind of coming into your practice and he was giving a, a bunch of confirmation to you. Yeah. I just remember how powerful that was. And um, so anyhow, that's cool that you mentioned that. And it's good to connect with you as well. I see you all the time on social media. I love your graphics. I love everything you're doing. So it's just an real honor to be here. Nice. Uh, my journey... Yeah, I mean, it's just, I, you know, where to begin, I could go on for sh shows and shows, uh, but just to come back, you know, I think the, the basic summary, I've been involved in spiritual practices, and that's kind of sometimes a word that contemporary astrologers maybe want to disentangle from astrology, but for me, it's fundamental, spiritual practice, spiritual journey, spiritual kind of conceptualization uh, led me to astrology, so I come from it from that particular frame. Um, and that's been much of my adult life. I studied Theravada Buddhism. I've studied Shivananda Yoga. Um, I started studying tarot in about 2010, 2011, around my Saturn return, during my Saturn return. And then that led me through the symbolisms of the tarot into um, a chance meeting with Dr. Jen Zart, yeah. um, where she just, she was my initiatrix is what I call it. And it, we don't, it wasn't even anything that big. And it was a non-astrological meeting, an event, but that changed my whole life. Met her, fell down the astrological rabbit hole, um, studied with Chris Brennan almost, a, you know, in the months right after that meeting, uh, graduated from his course very soon. And then basically I've been on my journey. So that's a little bit of my background. I practice a Hellenistic inspired contemporary astrology. Um, you know, my favorite techniques are transits, natal, transits to natal is what I pretty much rely on. And um, well, that's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show. I think y your style of astrology and divination seems to be in, in pretty much in alignment with the way that I do things as well. And so I think we're very much on the same wavelength. I really appreciate your fixed star work. Um, you know, you, you've got there's so much knowledge packed into SJ's head here. So, <laughs> and, and and I'm glad you brought up uh, Dr. Hand from UAC because that was that was a transformational experience for me. You know, because at, at UAC, uh, which is the United Astrology Conference, for those of you who are unfamiliar, pretty much like Astrology Olympics. It happens once every four to six years or so. It's the biggest international astrology conference in the world, basically. And it was my first astrology conference ever. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> you know, Rob Hand's reading my chart and Chris Brennan is, you know, you know interviewing me. It's, it's, it was mind-blowing. So, uh, yeah, that was such a... It feels like such a long time ago, but not such a long time ago. Does that make sense? Right? Yeah. You know, it just it was so it was such a blessing. So I, I hope that we're able to do that kind of experience again soon. I know some people have been asking me about Norwalk and, and ESAR. I don't think I'm going to make it to Norwalk this year. I did the online version last year. Um, I've just got a lot going on right now with life. Um, but I'm there with in spirit with all of you at Norwalk. ESAR, we'll have to see. That one's in, what, September, right? Like August, maybe. August uh, or September, yeah, yeah something yeah. like that. We'll, we'll have to see. It's still, maybe. But uh, 
I don't know. You're over in where? Where are you at now? Uh, so I live in the Western Balkans in Albania. I live in Tirana, Albania, uh, paradise. I love it wow. here. It's an amazing part of the world. And um, yeah, I relocated here last year um, after being in several different countries. But this is definitely a home, at least for now. So yeah, I really, I really cool. love it here. I wish I could just pop over to Isar, but it's not going to be in the cards for me either <laughs> right, this year, right. unfortunately. I, I make right. some effort for UAC. Uh, I try to yeah. do everything I could to get to the next UAC. They say, say maybe, uh, what are we at, 2020? So maybe 2024. Uh, I, do, I don't is know. there any rumblings as to where that might be yet? I, I'm not as plugged into the kind of back end of the kind of community as much as I'd like to be. I haven't heard, but yeah. I'm sure there's probably rumblings, but I haven't heard. So Yeah, and I, I feel like my my instinct is saying new orleans you know because they like to have it there and they they seem to shuffle through that area every 10 years or so but that's not based on anything other than just that city popping up in my head so don't don't don't, uh, don't hold me to that um but yes i think that um for those of you out there who haven't been able to 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 get together at a conference it really is a transformative experience and I would highly recommend it once it's you know safe to do so, once everybody feels comfortable. There's some transition time coming off of the pandemic that is, I think that's another thing that's been really hard for me is, um, I think we've all gone through a little bit of collective trauma with some of this and, and you know, just healing from that and getting back into uh, some kind of new rhythm. Uh, it's just gonna take a while and, that, and that's, a, that's okay. You know, I think that's, that's one of the themes I'm feeling with this eclipse on some level too, SJ is, you know, we're going through some really, really intense changes. And um, sometimes we just have to be patient with those changes and uh, accept some of the things that we can, you know, control or we can't control and, and you know, accept and do the things that we can. Um, so, so, yeah. All right. Um, SG, I'm just going to finish up a little bit of business here and then we'll dive in. How's that sound? Perfect. Okay. So friends out there, um, check out SJ at his website, sjanderson144 dot com and that is also his twitter handle as well um he's he's a lot more active on twitter than i am i'm mostly active on instagram but follow him on twitter on instagram check out his website again really great information there um brings in a lot of different uh modalities which i really appreciate um speaking of bringing together modalities i have a, a series i'm doing called integrative divination and it's a series of webinars on the decans and this coming Saturday, May the 14th, I'm going to be doing the Decans of Taurus. So if you all are interested in learning all things deep dive Taurus, we're going to do some things with the tarot, like we're seeing here. Uh, we're going to do some stuff with mythology. Um, it's really an interesting, uh, interesting little community that we've started to build there, too. You can sign up for that in the description of this video or at my website, spencermichaud.com. I also do readings as well, so if you're if you're curious and and need some help through this eclipse season, that is a great way to work through some of the challenges. Me or SJ or any of the other wonderful astrologers we've talked about today um, can be great guides through this for you. And I would also recommend, you know, if you've gotten a reading from uh, you know one astrologer, sometimes getting one from another astrologer can be really enlightening. Uh, there's a lot of different takes on things, and, and one astrologer may be able to pinpoint something that, that uh, someone else doesn't. That's why I like bringing people on here and exposing people um, to, to this audience as well. Okay, so, that, so that's the Decans of Taurus that it's coming up. One other thing I wanted to point out is that there's a new feature that's active on my channel. It's called Super Thanks, 
And it's very similar to the super uh, super chat and super sticker that that uh, we also already got one nice one in the chat here. Thank you so much, Amber, for your super sticker. That's I so much appreciate that. That's a way you can support the channel. There's a little dollar sign in the chat where you can make a donation or ask a question. Super thanks is a little heart in the the description of the video that has a little dollar sign in it as well. That's something that you can do either during the chat or after the fact. So if you're consuming this content after the fact and you're feeling inspired to keep the lights on at Chateau Michaud, uh, <laughs> you can make a donation that way. Um, so yeah, uh, I really appreciate all of you and all of your generosity and just really your time uh, being here with us today. So um, those are the business things. Make sure that you like, like this video and subscribe to the channel if you're new here as well. All right, SG, I think we got through the business, the business things that we talk about here. Um, seeing some no, new people stopping by. Prudence is here. Hello, Prudence. Urania is here. Hello, Urania. Henry is stopping in. Uh, Raven and Nat. Um, Nat's joining us from the UK. Amber is giving us the thumbs up for the, the uh, we love your astrology. Well, Amber, I'm so happy that you are getting value out of this and um, that you're here with us today. I'm really enjoy everybody's contributions to the chat. All right, SJ, big picture thoughts on the, we're going through this, we're in the middle of this Bardot period that I've heard uh, Austin Kopic describe as the in-between eclipses. Um, big picture thoughts and some of the astrology we're experiencing today and moving forward throughout the end of the month here. Yeah, big picture. I mean, you hit on it earlier, I guess where I'll start right in with Saturn still in Aquarius for another 10 months. Saturn closely squaring this eclipse. So without getting too into the weeds of the chart of the eclipse, this Saturn and Aquarius energy we've had since March 2020 is when it first began. People can just recall what happened in the world in March 2020 with Saturn's entry to Aquarius. I remember it quite well, but we're not done with that energy. And it provides, I think, a uh, certainly a mundane astrological black backdrop for the moment that we're in, which is that there's still a pen the pandemic the lockdowns all of that energy is very active particularly in china i don't know how much the western audience is aware of what's happening in shanghai which is some of the really re most restrictive lockdowns yet of the whole period wow. and so saturn and aquarius is as heavy 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 and it's going to be heavy on this eclipse as that news is percolating out into social media and becoming more unknown so, you know, in our personal lives, everybody's got a Saturn and Aquarius story. And I think that that's part of how, you know, individual nativities um, will experience this eclipse is whatever those themes from March 2020 through the present are, you're probably, you may be engaged, re-engaging with those themes, Saturn restriction, Aquarius kind of novel restriction or kind of um, outward, uh, the outward kind of world engaging with that from more Saturn nine model um, as of kind of just a higher level delineation. So I just think that, and you raised that earlier, which is why I go right there. The second thing is that I, what I will say, this lunar eclipse is some of the most difficult, challenging energy I think I've seen in a long time in terms of how heavy, our most heavy symbols in, in the astrological tradition, yeah. Mars, Saturn, and the South Node are some of the most challenging, difficult energies that we have. All of them play a significant role in this eclipse. And there's nuance and particularity that I'm sure we're going to dive into. But as, as a major outset kind of communication, I would just tell people, if you're going through challenge, struggle, deep kind of the most intense issues that, that the human experience can provide, 
suffering, right? Buddha's first noble truth. So this could be something we're going to have to grapple with and engage with directly right now. And I would just say, finally, just know it's going to end. So we've got um, six, five, six days, however long this will be over. And hopefully we'll be better off for going through what we've just gone through, which I think is the wisdom of suffering, right? These are things to be embraced, actually, because it's the universe triggering things for healing is, is kind of maybe one way to view it. So without being Pollyanna about it, but that's what I would say uh, as some initial thoughts. Yeah, SJ, this, I'm so glad I brought you on for this, this particular eclipse. Um, because that is some really grounded, practical wisdom that isn't, you know, whitewashing anything as well, because it really is some challenging energy. I love that you brought Saturn into the, the, the picture here so early, because, you know, I think this is something that we're throughout the Jupiter and Pisces time frame. We had these two, kind of two planets that were they weren't even witnessing each other, right? They were kind of in aversion to one another. It was almost like two separate realities that were happening simultaneously. And we had this hopeful dream quality where we were like, oh, this, this vision of what we wanted to create and this beauty. And then we had this, this stark, cold reality, these limitations we are working within. Um, and you're absolutely right. It is not over with. Like, I'm, I'll tell you what. I'm, I'm ready for it to be over with. I, I'm ready to be with people. I'm ready to be with my friends in person and give them a hug. And I'm ready to rejoin society and, and uh, take some of that vision that, that we saw with Jupiter and Pisces and, and put it into reality. Some of that is happening. I, 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 I've had some things that are going on where, where that is happening. Um, we're, I'm closing on a, on a home tomorrow. That's, that's a huge deal. So congratulations. Um, but it's been it's been there's been a lot of other things going on with that. Um, you know, you were talking about suffering earlier and and without making it too much about Spencer's personal experience, sorry, forgive my Leo ascendant here for just a minute. That's my subjective experience, but you know, in the midst of of this lifelong dream of home ownership coming along, um, my mom passed away. So like having to to process those two things simultaneously are the shades of ambiguity that I think astrology is really, I think it's useful for that because it shows us that we, we do have Jupiter, we do have Venus, we do have benefic energies, but we also have a Saturn, we also have a Mars, you know, we also have those, those energies that are present simultaneously. And you can be experiencing some of the most wonderful things in the world and also some of the most difficult things at the same time. And it doesn't mean that you're not doing life correctly, <laughs> right? It doesn't mean you're making a mistake or that you're, oh, you should just be happier, right? No, it's like, no, it's, it's, it's complex. There, there are shades of gray. And I think that that's one of the things, as far as my big picture thoughts with this eclipse is the shades of gray that are present. Because I really do feel that this last eclipse that we went through, this new moon and Taurus eclipse, as it has almost the uh, the op opposite energies, right? As this eclipse, <laughs> and, and I mean, of course, it's a new moon versus a full moon and all of that. But there was so much benefic energy that was fueling into the eclipse, whereas there's sort of like the 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 rubber band snapback that we're experiencing here with this eclipse and saying, okay, you, you started all these wonderful things. You, you, you had all these dreams and these visions. Now here's the reality check of how you're going to have to deal with the, the flip side of it. 
Um, and I'm glad that you brought up China and like the, the reality of what they're going through there, because I think that especially in, in some of the Western media, it's just not th that story is is buried. Um, I, I've noticed in the last few weeks and months that the standards for what we consider a, a high alert level have, have been shifting. So like what we at the beginning of the pandemic, what we considered high risk, now the, the bar has moved as far as what is high risk and what isn't, which makes me a little bit nervous. And I think it should be something that people should be aware of. It's, and I don't think SJ and I are trying to fear monger or anything like that. This is just about coming to reality about what, where we're at, you know, seeing things in a Saturnian lens. Um, and, and, and the point that you made about Saturn being so close to this eclipse, I mean, we're, we're in a giant T-square here. So let's, let's bring up the chart. What do you say? Let's, let's kind of look it. at this from the, the chart way. So here, here's the astrology of what we're experiencing now in, in real time. Actually, this is the, the chart for the eclipse itself. Um, you can see that we've got an, an opposition between the sun and the moon in Taurus 3 and Scorpio 3, and we'll break that down as we, we move forward. But what SJ and I were pointing out is that we've got this T-square this happening between the two lights and Saturn. Okay, So Saturn is in that overcoming square to the sun, and Saturn and the sun are already basically opposites in the Thema Mundi. And Saturn can feel almost like a darkening of the of the light, right? I mean, it is a planet of darkness. And when we have Saturn in overcoming, which means that it's early, the earlier square here to to the sun, Saturn has power over the sun in, in traditional astrology. So we may want to do all the things like like Taurus growth and plant these seeds and you know manifest the vision into a physical body but there is these forces that are a little bit bigger than us that are saying slow down consider these other communal challenges that we're going through potentially right now and how are you going to come to terms with that um now i'm also seeing just from a planetary condition aspect the moon has fallen in scorpio so the moon to me, and I, I want to hear your, your thoughts on this in a second, SJ. The moon to me is that, that manifesting uh, time clock, almost like, I, I like to think of it as the, oh, what is the word? The, the cylinder of the, the music box that is striking the keys of the other planets, right? Mm -hmm. And maybe manifesting things into form, right? When we have something waxing and, and maybe pulling things out of form when we're waning. And it's it's really in a place uh, of composting, of decay with with Scorpio. What are your thoughts on that Scorpio moon there? Well, right away, it's, um, again, just to go back to a moon of great challenge, I, I think that in this chart you've got, what I noticed right away is that Venus and the moon, the two planets that signify uh, female energy uh, women uh, and with and those are that's a whole conversation about those nouns and right. sign signifying that sure. what they might signify but just in generally female women these energies in this chart are both debilitated and so you have venus and aries in its exile and the moon is scorpio in its fall 
and those are ruling the sun, you know, and so if we're looking at the condition of the sun in the chart, I do think that this is a particularly challenged time for our, you know, females among us and women among us. And yeah. we've seen that in the news, you know? And so I, you know, I think maybe being extra sensitive to the needs of femininity and even our inner femininity, everyone, you know, has a, as an, as a element of that, but you know, the moon. So I, I don't want to speak about the moon and Scorpio. I think in the sense we can isolate it, but we can also contextualize because this is a, a triple hit in this chart, yeah. moon and Scorpio, uh, Venus and Aries, but then the sun on Algol, which I know we're going to talk about uh, extensively later. But uh, um, but the moon and Scorpio alone, yeah, regeneration challenge. My thing with the moon and Scorpio, I always like to consider the significations of the moon. Uh, uh, nurture, nourishment, the physical body, the mother, the physical home, you know, the things in our lives that lives or life that we need to stay protected and nourished and ready to kind of engage the day, you know, we come home at night to our home, and hopefully it's nourishment, and then we leave out in the world, that's the sun and do our business in the world. Yeah. And so when that moon energy filters through and this is how I like to think about rulership. It's filtering through Mars, the planet that rules Scorpio. And so you have a inner, the energies of, of the moon combining with Mar, uh, Mars. And that's always rough, but particularly rough in Scorpio, because this is Mars's nocturnal domain where, you know, we're having, we're having to confront Mars moon combinations in the water element and in a sign of the night which we usually want to keep safe from Mars, maybe, you know, and, and this is more way more complex for those listening out there. But basically, my short answer, it would be the moon is nurture, safety, comfort, mother. Mars is breaking away, cutting off from destruction. Hmm. Uh, it's the um, leaving things behind to go out and explore other things. And so there's a severing power of Mars. And do you want to have sever a, a severing energy when you're trying to find comfort and satiety? Yeah. You know, it's, it's often very, a very much a challenge. And so, you know, um, I would want to start talking about the South node because it's so close to the moon and just add that the T square that you mentioned between Saturn and the luminaries is also include inclusive of the, uh, the nodes. They're very close here. I mean, this is a three degree range. Yeah. It's within that ancient orb of three degrees that can be so important. And that's a whole nother eclipses are faded. But when you have the nodes so close, I think it adds another element here of just how significant this time is. And I'll, I'm not going to jump into the South Node yet because I wanted to stay on your question of Saturn. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, the Scorpio and the moon, but I'm just going to throw it back to you. Uh, no, I, 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 that's a great point about everything sort of being filtered through through Mars on some level, right? Because, you know, Venus is reporting back to Mars or doing Mars's bidding on some level, right? Uh, the moon is trying to to manifest Mars's uh, will, um, and, and you know, and Venus is involved with the sun here too. So it, it's all kind of comes back to that Mars, and, and we see Mars here conjoining Neptune in the third decan of Pisces. And you were you're also right on about some of the challenges that we're experiencing with um, reproductive rights in America, in particular, um, you know, feminine empowerment coming under attack right now so that's that's another thing that i think we're seeing play out during this eclipse transition period that's bringing up a lot of strong emotions and a lot of strong feelings um that i think that are, are indicative of this type of energy that we're seeing in this chart 
Um, I wanted to add something to the, the Mars part here because I think it's really important and I like where you're going with this. So I always try to bring in the, these dec decanic cards here. Oh. And, and Mars is in the third decan of Pisces, with, which is represented by the Ten of Cups, which is the one thing that I will say that is good about this Mars here is it is in its own face. So it, it, is, it does have a little bit of empowerment through being in that third decan of Pisces. But I, it, the, the challenge is this, the conjunction with Neptune. Now, I don't, I, I'm really curious to hear your thoughts on this because I actually see those, those outer planets, Neptune, Uranus, and Pluto. To me, they, they have some pretty funky, almost malefic energy. So <laughs> I don't see Neptune as like a nice, a nice planet. Um, I, I, for me, it's always experienced as, and this is something I've learned from Robert Schmidt. He, he talks about Neptune as the dissolving quality of returning form to a un universal substance. So this dissolving quality where it's just, he almost thinks of it as devoid of spirit. Like this, he, he called it a transcendental moon, whereas Uranus to him was a transcendental sun. Um, so, so the way I, exp I experience that is just a, 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 all of the air going out of our sails on some level, like just this, especially with Mars coming together there, where it's just like, oh, just like, I'm thinking of it as like a flaccid, <laughs> just a flaccid energy. Um, but what I, what, what the other thing I wanted to add to that real quick is that Mars in Pisces three, that decan is really about a, a, almost like a religious crusade. So, and I think that that's some of the things that we're seeing with the Supreme Court right now is that there's this, this battle going on over these super idealistic notions, right? And about trying to almost like, I don't know, I don't even know how to begin to unpack that. There, there's so much that's going on with that. Uh, but, but keep in mind, though, that there is uh, the potential for trying to chase something that is very ephemeral, I guess, with that rainbow, like the, something that's very temporary. But it's like, what are you willing to sacrifice for your dream and your ideal? That to me is what Mars in Third Decan of Pisces is saying is, are you willing to go to war and battle and sacrifice everything for your vision and for your dream? What do you think? Yeah, it's, it's, I'm glad you're, you're addressing the, what I would just call the domicile tree, I guess what astrologers, what we call that, the domicile tree. And I think it's really important. And this is one of the major um, techniques I use in natal work actually is yeah. I like to get into a chart with looking at domicile rulership and the interdependencies we might say. And by the way, Spencer, I just want to offer you my condolences for your loss and, and uh, my congratulations to you as well on the, um, yeah, on right. the home ownership and it's uh, I'm I'm living the the balance of the Tao, I guess. <laughs> like, like there's always a little bit of light in the dark and dark in the light on some level, and that yin yang, you know, we're always kind of spinning around in that circular thing. But thank you so much. I, I really appreciate all the support that people have been um, sending my way. So so thank you for that. I appreciate that, my friend. Yeah, and and you know, I, it's not a loss to me that I guess you're having. Um, the south node transit through your fourth whole sign house so it sounds like you're really deeply engaged in some fourth house topics right now which oh, to yeah. me is kind of a any, anytime i see someone's life unfolding quite literally with a nodal transit it just it's worth for me i just like to stop and kind of contemplate that's the power of the nodes and it relates to this eclipse because the nodes are the so-called nodes of fate 
and as I've deepened my practice and as I, you know, have um, seen more charts and work with people, I've come to become almost like a nodal astrologer in a way. I know that sounds strange. It's a Hellenistic, a Hellenistic kind of inspired astrologer because they're not often talked or not talked about very much in the tradition, but I've just seen it over and over again, how powerful they are yeah. as a predictive tool, the transiting nodes. And um, they're here, they're right here with the moon. And so it's just, I, I, I would just offer to people, this could be a, a uniquely heightened time um, because of how close of a role they're playing. And I like to come to Mars and Pisces, the idea of spiritualized or spiritualization as maybe a keyword for this moment, because that's how I'd like to think about the South Node is it's, it drains away, it's known as a draining force, but what I see, what it, does it empower? Well, it empowers un the unseen. You, mm -hmm. you see the South Node often talked about as an ascetic uh, uh, energy, as a kind of impetus to turn away from the material world and kind of try to see beyond the Maya, you might say. Um, and I find that that is actually somewhat useful in terms of how we think about Mars in Pisces and powerful, not only in its face, but in its Egyptian term, which may be even more impact impactful in terms of traditional analyses of dignity that that planet in its Egyptian terms, my translation is the power degrees of a planet. And so Mars is in its power degrees, uh, dis disposing of the moon here as its dispositor. And I think this, when I look at a chart, there's, there's also this question, well, where's the strength here? What can we lean into? And this Mars making a very close trine to the moon and ruling the moon yeah. in its power degrees to me is the great opportunity of this moment. And so I'll just say some things. That, so that's like the yeah. technical reason why, but so to come to the idea of the outers, it's strange because I am a kind of on the opposite camp. I actually think of them as more benefic energies. Okay. And yeah. I know it's strange. I know no, it's strange. No, that's why I bring people on here. Yeah. I want to hear these different perspectives. I've just seen it working with them. My quick, you know, Pluto is regeneration, deep regeneration. And it's so powerful when, when we, from a rooted deep level, kind of come into a, a rebirth. Um, and so I've seen Pluto transits over and over again, bring a kind of rebirth that is um, that it, only it can kind of usher in. Neptune is the dissipation. Yes, but it's the dissip. It's sort of like the South Node. It, it requires us to leave the kind of mundane level, the kind of so-called lower densities, maybe. Mm -hmm. And we have to filter everything through. And then we actually then it comes back reconfigured, having gone through than maybe spiritual filtration that often Neptune can be. Um, and then lastly, I think about Uranus is just the shocks. Um, it's like you, you send electricity, you know, you shock a heart back to life. That's what Uranus is going to do. Right. It's not, a, it doesn't always feel good, but it's going to shock us and sort of bring us back to life in areas of our charts that it activates. But to come back to the Mars Pluto, almost partile, uh, about two, they're two degrees separate in this chart in the power degrees of Mars, I just feel like, um, and to contextualize this moment a little bit uh, with the first five months of 2022, we had an epic generational um, pile up in Pisces, the first time it had happened there since the 16th century where those planets met in Pisces. And it was the rulers of Pisces, Mars as a triplicity ruler, Venus as an exaltation ruler, Jupiter as a domicile ruler, Neptune as a domicile ruler in terms of the modern and contemporary uh, uh, way of thinking. 
And um, this to me was like, again, these openings of who are we? What are we? The confusion of this transition period. This is a mutable sign. Um, where do you find faith and hope and vision in an ever-changing world? And, you know, I felt like it was the kind, it was like a trip. I've been analogizing it to like an acid trip or where you have to surrender to the intensity of a psychedelic. That's the only way to survive it yeah. is to just release into like the, in the, the ups, the upheaval of perception. You know, and so with Mars here, we know Mars is a planet of action. It's a fire sign. It's the, it, you know, I, I think there's something here about acting um, or clarifying the actions that we want to take, but filtering through the spiritual filter, whether you want to bring Neptune as the spiritual filter, whether you want to say Pisces is the spiritual mutable filter, the great inner, the inner work that we have to do to find our goal and vision. And then with, and so the last thing I'll just say is that you have what's called a um, uh, two planets here in this chart. Mars and Jupiter are what I call it an exchange of signs. Mm -hmm. um, and as Mars gets close to those late degrees, it'll actually be an antitial relationship um, between uh, Mars and and um, Jupiter. And they're exchanging signs. They're, they're so there's a lot of Mars-Jupiter combinations in this chart. And I just think about that like the 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 goal the hope the vision the spiritual connection that jupiter can imply and then the force of action of mars and so like i'm thinking it's eclipse season i turn my life down during eclipse season but i think i we we might have breakthroughs in this moment when the suffering hits like our beliefs may be clarified and the actions of this summer pocket where mars is going to get really powerful and be with jupiter I think this is a kind of a clarification and we're still in this kind of mutable shift to get ready for maybe a little bit more of an active period after eclipse season. So th there you go. Those are, those are, those are uh, some no, of my it's, thoughts. It's, it's wonderful, man. I, I, I'm just saying, I'm processing all that. I'm just chewing on it because there's a lot, <laughs> there's a lot of meat in there. There's a lot of good, um, there's, there's astrological vitamins in there, I would say. Those are not empty calories, SJ. <laughs> Which, you know, and, and I will say too, I don't think you don't need to hold back for this audience at all. This is a really intelligent audience today. Um, they are very well versed in a lot of these terms. So we can nerd out, I think, as much as we want today. <laughs> which, which is what I appreciate about this community here. A couple things I wanted to, to piggyback off of. First of all, I like what you're saying about the outers. Um, and I think that hearing your perspective versus my, my initial thought of it is that I think that the planets in general are, you know, new, neutral, I guess I would say. And I don't know if that's the right word for it, but as far as like moralistically neutral, they're not like out to get us. They're not out to cause suffering. I think that they bring certain uh, events to our life and they, they bring a certain type of event to our life. And then from our perspective, we either choose to suffer or find gratitude in that process or make a change or stay stuck in where we're at, which can also be painful. So I, I agree with you with the outer planets bringing us opportunities to be able to make those larger scale changes. And, and they do it in a slightly different fashion for each one of them. Um, same thing with the, the quote unquote malefic planets. I mean, Mars has a function, you know, Saturn has a function. Saturn limitations are important, you know, for growth. And Mars is, is the, the impetus 
you know, to, to sever from the past so that you can liberate consciousness and put it into maybe some other form. So I, I, I see this Mars Neptune here as all of that Piscean energy was saying, what is your why, right? What, what is, why are you doing what you're doing? Like, how can you go into, into your internal self and say, what is your motivation? And, and we had all these planets go through and now we're having all this transition to Aries of saying, okay, now you know your why, it's time to move, it's time to do it, it's time to take action on it. And we've got Jupiter and, and, and Venus already have made that transition as of yesterday with Jupiter, basically. And then Mars is completing that cycle of saying, okay, what is, are, are you sure? What is your real why here? <laughs> you know, and once Mars hits Aries with those planets, it's going to be like, you know, foot on the gas, like, all right, <laughs> now, now you don't have to think anymore. No more meditation. It's action. It's go time. So I think that you're you're hitting the nail on the head as far as the the bene, the beneficial energies that we can draw out of what could be looked at as challenging times is get really clear on your why with this eclipse because that's what's going to carry you through what on the surface could look like things that would be painful things that are challenging and really on some level it's just change and human beings are, are resistant to change. Uh, and I think that we experience changes as painful be because of one of the things that this moon really speaks to, because of trying to hang on to old forms that no longer provide vitality to us. And that's okay that old forms decay, that's part of life, you know, but we have to compost them if we're going to liberate that spiritual energy that we've been talking about to find a new vital form that can actually support who we are now versus who we were in the past, right? Yeah. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I love the idea of what was your, what is your why? Um, I think it's a perfect thing to think about Jupiter. And I think the one piece I would just also include with that is the I don't know as a yeah. as a not only a sufficient answer but as kind of a necessary answer sometimes with jupiter energy it's like i don't know show me okay then you follow show me and it's like the search uh, and embracing the confusion of these kind of deeper questions you know what i'm saying and so but i love the idea that i think we're going to be whatever that journey was for us over the last few months like we're going to have to act from whatever insight we were able to gain and that's yeah. and that's very much um, um i'm in full agreement and i also want to just bring in the symbolism of the death card which in tarot the major uh arcana death card the trump yeah. card the 13th is this it's it a, it's it's this this uh, skeleton with a scathe but you can see in the tarot of marseille tradition there's actually green sheets that are um, under this figure of death and it very much is a, a regenerative um, energetic and I think that's Marshall because Mars is a planet of building and doing and making and you often see it in ancient texts like Mars is like building houses or constructing things and so it's it's not just it's not we are uncomfortable with the moon right but there's a reason for there's some kind of regenerative purpose happening here for sure and I think it's very very useful to consider that and, and the one last thing I, I was going to say was my personal philosophy on planets 
are that it's everything's a continuum and this is on really all astrological symbolism there's a continuum of inter of interpretive kind of potentiality and we can go to the most like grave symbolic interpretations and we can explore those or we can go to like the so-called most positive right. the, the most so-called positive and explore those and you know, I like when I do readings and when I think about anything is to, is to try to um, not ignore maybe grave significations, but to try to focus on, well, what could this be if we were going to kind of use this and bring it to our side a little bit? Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, that's what I was saying in, at the beginning, you know, in the Buddhist uh, spiritual systems, you know, suffering is the first truth. It's a truth. It's a noble truth. I mean, this is something that's leading us when we can be with our difficulty and, really, even if it's just mapping it, you know, I mean, some of the most profound moments of my life were my lowest points. And then from there, I saw, okay, well, I'm carrying this stuff inside me that was coming up to be seen. And that's what I think about eclipses as well. They're, they're like the faded punctuations of punctuations, you know, each syzygy, a new and full moon, may be um, a kind of punctuation, but then you have the twice a year eclipses, and that's like a punctuation of a punctuation. And then you throw in a, na a natal nodal return. And that's like an 18 year punctuation, you know, yeah. but these are, these are moments of revelation. Cycles, right? Okay. Yeah. There's a revelation, I guess, is the key point through a syzygy, which every eclipse is a, is one, you know? Mm -hmm. And so we're seeing and mapping the landscape and that's such a great gift. And that's what I think about going back to Neptune and, and Mars and Pisces. I mean, this is mapping the, 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 the facing the facts and letting that kind of be transformed by by um, epiphany mm -hmm. that sometimes Pisces can be. Uh, and then Mars is like the power of the force of epiphany that may want to propel us or change how we view ourselves and then give us kind of new motivations. So, yeah, I mean, it's a powerful moment. And I'm just, yeah, I just, I just want to send blessings to everybody, you, Spencer. I mean, this is just mm -hmm. the profundity of this astrology, given the world context and everything. It's kind of... It's, I feel touched by it, actually. Um, and so, yeah. you know. Well, it's a, it's a watershed moment historically. And, it, you know, as above, so below, as within, so without, as collective, so personal. You know, we're going through these enormous collective changes. And I'm sure that, we're, that those reverberations are felt in our personal lives. Um, I, I, I wanted to, you know, even... Uh, confirm what you were saying about that south node energy too and just point out that sometimes when our material um i don't know forms are reduced that, that that's kind of the energy that brings us closer to the that energy of faith of of power uh, you know spiritual power when our material power is reduced right you know so, so I, that could be part of this i think as well as like you were saying in your lowest moments you have no choice but to surrender you know? <laughs> like so, so all the ego energies are are cast aside and you're like all you're left with is that that connection to potentially with the divine and there's some real beauty in that and that that, that can be some the way to i think to deal with the, the south node energies on some level um let me see what else we got here and and, and you know that the saturn story that's coming up with this too you know saturn in the third decan of aquarius is really about untying the karmic knots that we and i think of those as mental narratives right it's an air sign 
These are the collective narratives that we tell one another, that we're basing the structure of our laws, of our society, of our, you know, of what is a limit and what isn't. Um, and we're trying to untie some of the, that old stuff, especially with this eclipse, so that we can move forward. Joy Usher is another astrologer I really love from, from Australia. She has this book, A Tiny Universe, and she talks about the glass ceiling with Aquarius and Saturn and Aquarius, where the limits that we have with Saturn and Aquarius versus Capricorn are not physical limits, they're, they're ideological ones. Mm -hmm. So how do we deal with the ideological limits, the narratives that we tell ourselves that are limitations? And I'll tell you, that's something I've been experiencing personally too. Like one thing I wanted to point out for our audience is uh, you can really feel eclipses, especially if they are what, what is called angular. So houses one, four, seven, and 10, you're gonna really feel those personally whereas if they're in some of these other houses they may be happening not necessarily directly to you it doesn't mean you won't feel them but you, they're not going to be as like poignant i guess as much of a kentron as we could call it which is a goad right it's goading us personally to do something and and experiencing this as an angular eclipse you know i mean just look at the events i just w was sharing you know a, a, a parent passing a, a home like being purchased like a, a change on on actual stability this is one thing i want to share with the audience is that south node in my chart is hitting exactly on my natal uranus in the fourth house so it is a draining to me the way i've been interpreting that is that it is reducing maybe some of the shocks and instability that i've experienced in my home life i moved around a lot as a kid i, I never really had something I could call home, you know, where it was something I could count on. It was always changing. And to me, this eclipse is like, all right, you're putting down some roots. You're, you're maybe draining some of that instability and creating some more of that. Maybe hopefully, <laughs> maybe you have a different interpretation, but this is the narrative that I'm telling myself SJ. So be kind if you have a different thought on this, but, to, but to me that that seems like that, because I, I do feel like sometimes we can think of that north node as increase and that south node as decrease, right? Would you would you agree with that? Does that? Yeah, yeah, I like it. I mean, I think that's a, for me. I've always thought about increase and decrease of what, and yeah. but it's and it's the it's how it's being decreased, right. and that's why I was saying earlier, like the south node is it's a way to kind of decrease our attachment to maybe the materiality of a form. And we have to then we have to go into some other way of engaging with an energy and so but yeah you have it like dorotheus i think this is the text it's the arabic translation that um, where in some of the early horary astrology uh, uh, chart examples you, you would or it says electional book five if you um, have the moon near the south node maybe you're going to pay lower prices or um, not, not get as much for what you're trying to sell and so there's that kind of increase decrease model in the context of buying and selling too, don't say that too loud SJ. <laughs> okay okay no but 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 that might be good for get you because yeah but you know you're gonna yeah, yeah okay oh yeah that's right yeah so yeah, I, I hopefully your um your uh brokers and the and the counterparty are not uh, listening here <laughs> um but yeah, I just, so I think about it more for me when I work with nodal energy, when I see it activated, I think about it more as the fundament of life. It's like this, the realities of what it means to be a human being. Okay. When the nodes touch things, it's like, it's time to get like, 
what will be asserted or goaded, I really like that, that verb here in this context, is the kind of truth of the matter. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, um, eclipses are accelerated fadedness is my favorite phrase, because it, it it's like we can be in denial, we can be in denial, and then the eclipse comes on the Venus and boom, there's the truth and it has to be confronted. There's no way to avoid anymore. And so that's, is that a benefic or a malefic? I think that's ultimately a benefic thing. I, I'm someone who wants to be in touch with the truth of my humanity. You know what I'm saying? But is it easy? No, it's sometimes very challenging and difficult because we have to shatter illusions, you know? And I think this is where we should bring in this thing. I was thinking about very earlier, much earlier when you mentioned Saturn at the very beginning, I think it's worth keeping in mind that we're dealing with a fixed modality. Mm -hmm. in this chart and when you when you um talk about eclipsing the um, planets in the fixed modality with uranus in the fixed modality saturn in this fixed modality you really do come up against a um kind of intractable attitudes or just you know um, uh, uh, kicking and screaming um right. in terms of change and i think that's a unique part of this moment too that like the upheaval is deep rooted and it is foundational. And I think that's part of why the moon in Scorpio has also fallen is that the moon likes to change all the time, you know, and the Scorpionic is, a, is, is, is not a sign of change. It's a sign of now it's exalted in Taurus because we like to keep the good stuff. Right. But yeah. I, I think this kind of resistance to change is something we're collectively having to um, confront and interpersonally, you know, um, and, or, or deep-seated, let me just say this, the accelerated fadedness is activating maybe more deep-seated attitudes, conditions, and ideas. I love what you said about the boundaries attitudinally that Saturn and Aquarius signifies. Yeah. And so it's just worth considering just the deep kind of rooted nature of this moment and what's being activated. Yeah, I'll tell you, SJ, like going through trying to, to make a transition into a new era of material reality you'd be surprised at how much that triggers old trauma, you know, uh, like if you've grown up in a situation where you couldn't count on anything materially, you know, where it was always kind of like, you never knew what was up and what was down, what was stable and what wasn't. When you are about to commit to something, quote unquote, stable, it, it hits, it puts a finger on that nerve. And I'll tell you throughout this whole process, like, I don't know about any about you out there. Like, first of all, I want to totally acknowledge 100% how fortunate I am to be in any position to buy a home at all because it's it's crazy right now. This is a crazy housing market. It's a crazy time in late stage capitalism. Um, mainly, we're basically staying in the house that we've been in for a decade, and we had to fight with every ounce of our being to do that. If that makes sense very Taurus moon <laughs> like, mm -hmm. fighting like hell to just stay where you're at. Um, but, but, it, but throughout, it, it, you know, a home buying process is not just, Oh, you sign some paperwork and it's done. It is one of the most stressful things you can go through in your entire life. There's so many micro decisions that have to be made. There's so much paperwork. There's so many things like, and for someone like me who wants to understand every part of something in detail, it was completely overwhelming, 100%. And, and I wanted to bring that back to the Pisces energy that we've been going through is that Pisces stack up was saying, it was opposite three planets I have in Virgo in my second house and eighth house axis. And that Pisces stack up was saying, you don't have 
to think about every single detail here, or you're not even allowed to. You're just going to have to take this on faith, take the leap. <laughs> if this is your vision, let other people help you and just just go for it, right? And that's and for me, that was just a horrifying experience, <laughs> um, but also a blessed one. So it, it was a learning experience. It was it was putting me so far out of my comfort zone that it forced me to shed some skin, which I think is another type of energy that we see at eclipses, because we can we can bring that energy of Rahu and Ketu, the head of the the dragon and the tail. And, and here we're shedding skin. And for me, I had to shed the skin of, okay, you have to control every single detail of the process. Um, and, and man, I, I wonder if all of you out there have been feeling this where, you know, we have a very pretty mercurial crowd. Like there's a lot of, because we go into depth like this and we don't really pull punches with our language, we attract a certain type of uh, fan here, <laughs> a lot of Virgos, uh, Gemini energy, um, because they, they enjoy that kind of analytical type of thing. Um, and I'm curious, all, all of you out in chat, digital land here, have you had to take things on faith during this period of time? And, and how did you get out of that, that old pattern, that old narrative that said that, oh, you have to think about it so much, you know, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, um, so I, that's something that's been really powerful for me, instructive for me. Um, and ultimately it's liberating because I think sometimes when, when we overanalyze, we can get so caught up in the minutia that we, we miss the bigger picture and the bigger picture, if you realize that sometimes the divine has a better plan than you do, <laughs> then that's where the surrender and the submission part of it comes in. Um, so yeah, I, that's been so instructive for me. And I, I think that we're seeing the culmination of that type of energy here with this eclipse. Um, I wanted to point out to SJ that, you know, Venus, if we, if we look at Venus here, Venus is in her exile. You know, Venus is in a decan that's associated with the exaltation of the sun. So that, that is a place of personal sovereignty where we're saying, I'm going to establish my own sense of independence and self, this, this kind of um, radical, I don't know what, um, individualism. And with Venus there, generally Venus is supposed to be like, okay, let's create these win-win situations. Let's be receptive. And Venus is saying, well, I want, I want this. And instead of letting it come to me, I'm going to, I'm going to fight for it. Right. Kind of thing. Uh, so another thing to keep in mind with this eclipse is th there may be a little bit of impatience with this eclipse too. I think, um, where we, and, and I'm feeling this, like, here's what, here's what happened with me today. Like on the eve of closing my house, I'm starting, like, now my brain's like going into like landscape design mode. <laughs> like I want to change everything about this, but you have to realize when you go through this kind of process that you have to take it one tiny day at a time. And you know, this is a long-term project that you're, that we all are going through. And you can't do everything. There are material limitations that we all are going through right now where if you get too aggressive, you can find yourself in a real, a real pickle, right? Um, so, yeah, I, I think that's a, just an anecdote about, you know, how this is playing out for me. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, go ahead. 
I just can say you're not the first Leo rising I've talked to during this uh, last few months that is dealing with homes and like banks and and all the eighth house, fourth house yeah. topics that are uh, come up in the home buying process. So it's pretty little astrology. I mean, this is a great chart example for students and just to see, I mean, that what, what tools would we have needed to predict this for you at this time, like five years ago? I mean, the houses would be kind of a primary tool, you know, and then knowing where the planets were and where the nodes were. And that told us almost pretty starkly literal. And I, we don't, I don't even know where your placements are. I don't think you've shared that much, you know, but just those houses yeah. and the transits to the houses are, are like breathtakingly accurate. And, and um, so, literal. so I, it's so yeah. literal, like with just, all that happening. Right. Yeah. And, so um, just to give a shout out to, to like how simple, sometimes the simplest tools, tools are the most powerful, actually. Just and a planet in a house, right? Planet <laughs> right. in a house. There you go. And, and this you, isn't, do you share, do you share your placements? Some of the. Yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah. not, I, I share it. I mean, I'm not yeah. like someone who's worried about being magically attacked. Maybe I should knock on wood. But, um, yeah. yeah. I'm a Libra rising. So yeah. um, uh, I've, I've had, like for me, one story of my eclipse story in 20, 2019 and 2020 is when I became a professional astrologer and those were North Node eclipses in Cancer in my 10th house. Yeah. Um, simultaneously, eclipses in my fourth, I was moving all over. I mean, I was like, it was a wild time um, of, of, I lived in China. And then when those eclipses came to my ninth, I visited more countries than I had ever visited in my life um, during those Gemini eclipses, just through like trying to figure out after I left China, where was I going to live and having to kind of navigate rules. And then I finally settled where I am. But so those are just some pretty literal manifestations for how eclipses have happened in my life in the recent past, for sure. Um, you yeah, I'm a Libra rising. Go ahead. You, yeah. Tell us what you got. I'm just saying I'm just a Libra rising there and yeah. uh, sun. I'll give you my big three, yeah. uh, Aries, sun, Scorpio, moon. So okay. I'm a lot of Mars. I've got a lot of Mars uh, power. Uh, so, so is this eclipse <laughs> and, and is it close to your moon at all? It's quite close. Yeah. yeah. It's uh, okay. right near my moon, uh, several degrees right in, the, in that mix in the last decade I had, uh, there. So it's for sure. And I've been dealing the, with the south node over my moon. Just, uh, uh, you know, feeling run down at times, feeling yeah. drained, having to kind of um, navigate uh, burnout and mm -hmm. figure out, you know, how to stay comfortable and stay committed to, you know, my job and all my obligations, you know, in this self -care, world. Self-care potentially, right? Yeah. Self-care when it comes yeah. to um, the world that we are in, which is like social media, which is a 24 seven oh my God. job. And, <laughs> yeah. and I, you know, yeah. I love my clients and I love my work and just trying to kind of figure out, you know, does the worth like work life balance. That's, that's certainly part of a South node on a natal moon transit. Um, so it's, it's, you know, um, but it's been okay. It's been okay. I love eclipses. I love the intensity. I love, um, well, someone I'm with two of, Mars, Mars ruled lights. I'm sure that might be a little yeah. bit more change for you as, as, uh, you might be, maybe you get excited about it. <laughs> like I'm I a, Taurus, I'm a Taurus moon. So I'm kind of like, Oh no, <laughs> What's gonna well, be we're on the same axis. We're on that. We got oh, moon, so we got some moon sign industry there and that's cool. Uh, yeah. And you know, your, your Libra rising really does come out in in you know the way that you present and the way that you communicate it's it's just so fascinating to see people's you know ascendance versus their lights and i one thing i want to ask you i've always been curious about this with your chart mm -hmm. since you have stuff in aries 
in the seventh. Yeah. Do you, you know, there's a lot of authors that talk about the seventh as like foreign places and travel. Do, yes. do you see that? Want, can you speak to that a little bit? Because I think that's something that isn't talked about enough. Absolutely. And yeah. I mean, when I first left America, um, and I mean, I'd been out of the country a little bit, but when I basically became an expat, um, which was 2017, 2018, and then 2019 was my final um, uh, kicking off from the homeland, let's say. A big part of processing that was realizing that I do have not only um, a son, but I have a stellium there and my seventh house in Aries. And I forgot which ancient, ancient author it is, but um, one of those house significations all the way back is long stints abroad for the seventh yeah. house. And, and, and it was clear to me that the natal promise of having a heavy seventh house was coming to fruition at a time that, um, you know, um, when, during my nodal return, actually. And that's the power of a nodal return is that you step into the kind of greater fate or the greater natal promise of a chart um, when, you know, when, when the nodal return happens. And for me, it then triggered that that seven all of that seventh house but yeah i would just say yes it's a it's a clear signification both from my life experience but also from the textual tradition that yeah. it's long stints abroad is i think the specific quote and i feel like it may be paulus alexandrinus but um I, yeah and i wonder it's so fascinating i always think of you when i when i think of like people living abroad with with that that specific thing you were bringing up about that those um traditional texts and I wonder too, like if if you could also point towards having the moon in its exile as living somewhere far from your original place. Also, I mean that might be something too, right? It's that I think, but then there's also some uh, Valens. Vedius Valens talks about the ruler of the lot of spirit. Mm -hmm. If the ruler of the lot of spirit is in exile, you will live away from your foreign, from wow. your home. And my the ruler of my lot of spirit is in exile, and wow. so. Um, that's a big part of my story too. I've got the sect light in exile, the ruler of the lot of spirit in exile. And by the way, um, this is something people can try on their own chart. For me, you know, maybe some of the three major points um, when you look at your nativity, where the ascendant ruler, the ruler of the lot of spirit, and the sect light, and those, those are going to probably more than likely kind of tell a story and that you might feel more closely connected to those plants, especially if they're the same, right? <laughs> a lot of spirit and cancer and you know maybe you're a cancer rising you know then you would you would cover all three with the moon but <laughs> those are um, those are fantastic nuggets sj this is this is really good stuff because like i said astrology is so it's so layered and multivalent and we can look at it through so many lenses um but when we start to uncover some of these these really i don't, I don't know if the word is arcane but these arcane like like traditional techniques you can you can really find some nuance in there that is just just incredible, you know. So um, that that's one thing that harkens back to that time at UAC. Is I was I felt like I was such an astrological just an infant at that point, you know. Uh, not not that I'm like some you know expert or anything right now. I I just uh, I feel like I'm I I like uh, I'm more experienced now than I was then, and and that this is what anybody who who studies will tell you is that there's always more to learn, right? So. But then I was just such a neophyte to traditional astrology and, and traditional astrology, especially Demetrius George's book, Astrology and the Authentic Self is what brought me to UAC. Like someone gave me that book and it was just like, you know, just, that, was, that was when the eclipses were in my first house. 
and seventh house access. And it was just like, oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> like I'm going to be a whole different person because of this book and, and because of this new astrological system. And, and since then I've, I've circled back around and, 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 you know, gone to the extreme of those techniques and circled back and incorporated some, uh, some of the modern techniques back in and all of those things. Because Jeffrey Cornelius, if you read his book, The Moment of Astrology, well, he'll shake your ass up <laughs> if you think that you've got it all figured out. And if you, you say, oh, well, my way is the right way, he's like, eh, nah, nah, maybe that, maybe it is. But then this other way is the right way too. <laughs> you know? So, so uh, I, I love that about that. Um, <clears throat> so thank you for sharing your personal experience with that. That's one of the things I really like about when I have guests on the, the show is I really, you know, and I didn't even do this consciously, but, you know, I didn't know where your moon was, but I always like bringing people that have placements for the astrology that we're talking about. And, and now you've got that right on. Yeah. So you're just, yeah. you're just channeling it. Um, and and he, for this. Yeah. well, and hearing those stories, that's for those of you who are new to astrology out there, it, it is equally as important as the technique is connecting it with the lived experience. Because when you can take the technique and you can ground it into practical lived experience, then you can craft the types of narratives that can help yourself and your client. If it's only stuck in this, this ethereal realm, it's what good is it going to do? It's just going to make you scared or, or something like that. This is how you ground it into practical wisdom rather than just knowledge. Um, okay. Yeah. I'm, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say one other little nugget, just I'll keep this quick. And I want to just follow up on the last thing you said, how important that is for anybody in my experience, for people listening out there. Sometimes I start reading, I'd say half the time, I just, uh, I'll pull up a trans. I start with the transit and because that's the gateway in, especially one in the past. So, I mean, particularly a past transit. And, and I usually wait for someone to start talking about their life and important events in the recent past or whenever they want, whatever they want to bring in. But then you look at the transits and that is the gateway into the nativity, actually, because mm. you have the facts on the ground is what I say. Right. The facts on the ground tell us the delineation, actually, yeah. of the life. And so just to just I'll leave it. It's, it's you know, we could deeply break that down. But basically, I love that um, concept, um, Spencer. So thanks for mentioning that the facts of the life and how the primacy of those life facts and one just quickly, people often on Twitter be like, well, what does it mean? Sometimes like I'll, I'll tweet something and they're like, I have this planet in this sign. What does it mean? And I sometimes say, you tell me, it's your life. <laughs> well, you know what it means better than me. Well, tell I'll me. tell, I'll you, tell you what, you know, just, just uh, piggybacking off of that real quick is that the first thing I do in a reading is similar. I, I ask the client in an intake form, I say, hey, what are, what are you going through right now? What's, what's going on in your life? right? <laughs> like, don't make me be like some kind of mind reader. Let's contextualize it because you're asking a question of the chart and the chart can be so many different things. Why not get right to the heart of what we're trying to solve and let's solve it together rather than having it be this like, oh, let me impress you with, <laughs> with my acumen. It's, and, I, and there's some astrologers that are good at that, but like, I think like, you know, what I love about your style and the way that you come to astrology and client work is that it really seems like you're, you're problem solving focused and, and really client focused as far as saying, hey, how can we be helpful? I've, I've, I've heard that already a number of times just in, in our talk today. And I love that. I love being able to contextualize that and say, 
what are we doing here? If, you know, are we trying to help people or are we, are we trying to like, you know, mess with their heads? So um, thank you for that. And thank you for being that type of uh, energy and light out in the world, because I think we need more of that. I think in the astrological community, sometimes we see people that, that it's a lot of self-aggrandizement and, and it's something that turns me off quite a bit um, because we're, we are um, servants to the clients that we are, you know, working with. And don't ever forget that if you're doing this work as you are serving that person in front of you, the person in front of you, not not just the chart, you're serving the person in front of you. Absolutely. Um, okay. Absolutely. SJ, I'm looking at our uh, outline here. Okay. Um, do you want to kind of start breaking down these these faces a little bit, potentially? Talk about maybe the, some yeah. of the cards and get into that, those specifics. Um, sure. I'm going to look at the chat here. We've got we've got like 30 or 40 people hanging out. I'm so grateful for all of you here today. I'm sorry I'm not getting to every single um, comment that we have here. We just have such an active chat here today. But I'm seeing some really intelligent comments here and some really good reflections from all of you. So, so thank you for um, participating in this chat today. We have a lot of people that are confirming you know, the, the, the old traumas that come up when we're, when we're feeling the stability questions and when we're trying to move towards new, new stability in our life, we're seeing a lot of that. A lot of um, people feeling the, the skin shedding energy we've been talking about and also confirmations of the, the Virgo Pisces uh, axis challenges that I think we've been asked to, to ride a little bit on some level. Um, <clears throat> So thank you all for those comments in here. And, and please, if you do have any specific questions for us today too, we always like you know answering questions. So if I've missed a question, maybe re-put re it in there uh, and we can get to that as well. Um, okay, SJ, let's, let's take a look at uh, the different decans and the cards associated with that. I'm gonna stop my share for a second and th that'll allow us to see these cards in a little bit more depth. We're, we're dealing with this axis here of the Seven of Pentacles and the Seven of Cups. And this is from the Rider Waite Tarot. Um, we have the Sun in Taurus 3 and the Moon in Scorpio 3. And then I guess we can juxtapose Saturn here in, in, uh, in Aquarius 3. So we're dealing with Sevens. We're dealing with energy of uh, a figure here potentially who is contemplating his harvest or maybe seeing what worked and what didn't as far as seeds that were planted. Uh, we also have a card that, that is rooted in maybe the illusions um, that we're dealing with as well and what is real and what isn't. So something about the cold hard reality and maybe what we wish it to be. And then again, when we were talking about the Saturn Deccan, uh, untying those karmic knots, like taking a leap into the unknown and taking either the wisdom that we are, have gathered from our experiences and leaving behind maybe that which isn't um, serving us anymore. So here's our big T-square. One of the things that I like about Austin's work is he brings in those fixed stars, he brings in the diamonds. Um, let's talk about Taurus three just for a second because we're dealing with a Saturn ruled Deccan. We're dealing with this kind of agricultural themes. Um, I see this deck in SJ as like dealing with the natural forces that threaten the, the baby plants or seeds that we've just planted. 
Um, what do you think about this decade in particular and what we're, what we're shining a light on right now? Yeah, it's interesting. I've always thought about this as the, um, the failures um, and the fruits that actually are born from um, a, fa a failure. And I think I'm, I'm just thinking about the South Tarot. That's one that has heavily influenced my uh, tarot work. And I believe that it uh, Crowley names this card a uh, failure, uh, actually. Yeah. It's what the seven of coins. Is that, is that what yeah, it is? The, the Lord of Failure, right? Right. Yeah, the Lord of Failure. And so so if we just use that as a jumping off place, well, what could come out good from that? And it, and then, then we get we start back with Saturn, which is that there's stops and starts. And it's just what you said at the beginning. You said that this is a long process in mm -hmm. and then a long process out of, of much of life. I mean, things take time. It's continuum of events over long periods by which life manifests itself mm -hmm. often in some ways and especially when you're dealing with Saturn and so you know the, to me this is the moment where you you maybe plant you did something or like for cooking is a good example because we are dealing with materiality with coins right. and with and with the earth energy and the, um, the, the diamonds if you want to use the diamond suit um, <laughs> and cooking is a good example I mean like I it took me a while to learn how to cook rice now I can do it well every time but you know just an example there's some failed batches right and um you some know crunchy, read it. some crunchy rice <laughs> some crunchy rice some you know rice that uh, the water yeah, crunchy or by the way i don't use um lids anymore i'm on a whole different system which is boiling nice. water and yeah, but but that's how i perfected my rice but um so you know it's it's um there's a sense here of the disappointment and the kind of letdown that comes from the expectations not being met uh, and even materially, and I would bring it in to the current uh, moment in time where we've got really challenging economic conditions mm, and, and, yeah. and we've got a stock market that's um, broken down, likely to continue to break down. We've got runaway inflation, like nothing we've seen since we were little kids. Yeah. Um, or I think you're a little younger than me, maybe, or maybe not. I'm not sure, but right around early 80s. Mortgage rates are rising daily. <laughs> mortgage rates are basically, it's untenable yeah. now. To And so there's going to be some, I mean, my sense and God, you know, knows only, but we're in for a little bit of some turmoil here, the yeah. rest of 2022 in terms of the economics. And what might that mean for like, if you've got a business that's nascent, you know, I mean, you might have to stick with things. If you've got a business that's, you know, like maybe you have to kind of hunker down a little bit to get through this period of challenge and difficulty that this eclipse cycle, and this leads me to the next point, one other point, I know it's not in this decan, but um, actually I'll have to check the degrees. I don't have those memorized for the fall eclipses, but we have, eclipses come in two cycles and all of 2022 are four eclipses both um pair are, are in this same axis fixed earth fixed water and the lunar nodes are both co-present so there's there's a real continuity with the eclipse season that we're experiencing now in october which is a classic kind of crash sector for economic seasonality mm -hmm. so there, I, and i don't mean to be i just this no, is no. worth just sharing with folks because you know, you know michael michael bryant was on the show last november or october when when we had the the uh believe the full moon in taurus eclipse and he was talking about th this early part of the year with uh economic ch challenges and difficulties so we're seeing that connected and it could be moving out into the next six month period as well yeah. Yeah. So it's it's more like, you know, how how do we survive? And and our ancient our ancestors knew how to do this. I mean, these are seasons of you pack for the in the summer and in the northern hemisphere, we're getting into summer, you pickle the 
the, the cucumbers and you put them in and save and, you know, for the winter that may be coming, but just getting around, knowing this cycle is going to end next year, like 2023, this all changes. So um, that's the promise of the future. Saturn leaves um, Aquarius, March, 2023. Um, the nodes change the true nodes in July, 2023. The last eclipse in this axis is uh, a lunar eclipse in Taurus, I think again in October. 2023. So we're going to be done with this, but this might be a, a period of months where there's some economic pro issues, you know, and so that's the that's the long way of saying that short little point there at the end, but it's in the symbolism of this card. And one thing I want to bring in Antiochus of Athens, if you can find his text, he breaks down each deck and I really like bringing in Antiochus and then the Picatrix. Those are kind of the two sources I like for imagery and symbolism, but Picatrix says, um, poverty and misery um and that's one of the uh that that's what it calls this face so the poverty is what i'm focused on but not from I, just to go back to maybe more positive like just having to maybe have less a little bit economically and and, and managing that hmm. and then Antiochus says it's uh, those who are steadfast his people in this decade and so this is this this the positive side of saturn where you stay with it do it a few times then you can cook the perfect rice yeah and so there's maybe a sense of a little bit of a lack here and we have to stick with it and bring our kind of commitment and steadfastness. And then Kayaka says it's long lived as well. So there's kind of a, these other sides of Saturn that can come in. What is that translation that you you like for Antiochus? What uh, I like Schmidt. Uh, it's, not, it's the hindsight. Uh, okay. So this is part of the project hindsight. hindsight uh, cool. Greek track uh, set of PDFs that I was nice. able to purchase um, uh, from them. I think they're yeah. relaunching now. So you, people may be able to get that from their new website. I don't, um, uh, maybe I'll find it here and I can tell you in a second. Well, if you ever find a, a book from them called definitions and foundations, send me a link. Cause I've, that's one that I don't have that I've been wanting and been super envious of Martin Hermes who flashes it on every single, uh, <laughs> every single presentation he does. Um, but yeah, I know that the, the, the Schmidt website has a lot of audio that's up there. I wonder if, if, if that would be amazing if they put some of the, the, um, the book um, pamphlets up there as well, because, man, those are they hard to find. It. They do have they it? They have it. Well, they have it. Uh, there's a tab called Translations on his new website that just was launched, and I guess they're delivering it differently. They're saying that um, you have to pay a, a subscription to get access. That's how they're, they're not downloadable. And, but, that, but it is on the site itself? But it's on the site, and let me see if it's... Um, if they've got the book that you, so there's the Greek track 16 documents, Antiochus is definitely there. You used to be able to order directly from the old project right. hindsight and they would send you the, the PDFs to download. Okay. Uh, but the definitions, they don't have that. I've heard of this book and I'd like yeah. to get a copy too, but um, it doesn't look like that's included here. Oh man. Well, the search continues. <laughs> like, <laughs> maybe I just have to keep being patient, <laughs> like uh, Saturning. Um, so if anybody has a copy of that that they want to send me uh, <laughs> or sell me, um, that's what I'm looking for. Anyway, so yes, some some very great and astute observations on the third decan of Taurus here. Uh, you know, a couple things I'll add to that. Um, there is a spirit or a daimon with this decan called the Litai. And the Litai were these personified spirits of uh, prayer in in the ancient Greek tradition. So they were these these hobbled old women that would follow behind this other um, deity or demon called Eight, which translates to ruin. 
So, you know, th th this is stuff that both T. Susan Chang and Austin Kopic talk about in their books, and, and this reflects that Picatrix uh, information you were talking about. You know, sometimes through our rashness, sometimes through like going a little bit too quickly through something which ate or ruin represents, we have to go back and, and, and repent. Um, and that mostly that just means learning from our mistakes, right? Learning from our experience, if we think about it, and we won't think about the glass half full type of way. So maybe throughout this process, you rushed through something, maybe in all that Piscean glory, you're just like, I don't know, I'm just gonna <laughs> let the universe do it. But then when the, you know, the bill comes due, or when the reality starts to hit, you know, you have to learn from that experience. Um, <clears throat> I also can can think about with this deck and really the forces of nature that are out of our control. I mean, there's a lot of uh, literature around this card in particular that says, well, you've made plans, you've uh, planted the seeds in the soil, and now it, it, you have to have faith in the process. You you have to say, you have to give it over to nature. And something some sometimes there will be a, a, a plague and, and sometimes there will be pests and you can try to remedy it through uh, your insurance policies, through your uh, your care and weeding the garden on some level, right? But there's going to be some things that are out of your control, and, and that's okay. Like, that's that's life. Um, so, so coming to terms and acceptance with that, I think, is part of this. Um, what else? Let's bring in uh, Algol with this as we talk about the sun here in this decan, because a lot of the challenges that we see in this third decan of Taurus come from two challenging fixed stars, one called Capulus, which is in the sword of Perseus, which represents rashness. I think that's eight. And then you've got Algol, the, the blinking eye of, of Medusa, that is is a binary star that's being eclipsed uh, <laughs> regularly, which freaked people out. Um, so, you know, Este, you, I'm really impressed with your um, fixed star knowledge. Give us the, the, the Algol uh, picture here. Yeah, I, I mean, this is the thing with Algol. It's such an intense star. Yeah. Um, I think Ptolemy says it's the most malefic star in the sky. And it's um, about it, it's, 26 degrees Taurus or so, right? Yeah, roughly. Okay. I think now because of precession, uh, it's, um, I can get the exact, um, yeah. or I'll get it in a second. But yeah, it's, it's, it's not quite within one degree. I think it's within two degrees of this eclipse. So it's, okay. that's the good news. It's not like right on it. So, but it's definitely within this orb, some fixed star astrologers. I think the two degree orb is the widest I would use personally. Yeah. Um, and one degree, maybe if you want to filter even further, but so just to come, just to say right off the bat, to, to really dig into Algol, I mean, it would take um, a lot of thorough pr uh, processes here to kind of set it up and to carefully and kind of wisely start mm -hmm. getting deep into the Algol energy. So I just want to say that right at the outset. Um, the second thing I would say is, yeah, it's, it, we really need a trigger warning to talk about Algol. I mean, mm -hmm. and, and maybe I'll say that here um, be just because of how how heavy duty and serious this energy is in terms of its potential impact. So that those, those things aside, um, I would say that Algol can signify maybe two main things. One can be, you know, uh, violence to the physical body and harm to, to a body. Um, uh, the, the image of Algol um, is uh, Perseus um, slicing off Medusa's head and then holding that head up. So Algol is where the head of the Gorgon 
is, uh, it's really her severed head. So that's the one side of it. The other side um, is that it can be on the story of Medusa when you go into that. It really is a story about um, exploitation of women, rape, and the kind of worst exploitation that, that we, our women amongst us have to suffer and deal with. And so this is why, I mean, it's so heavy that, um, you know, um, that's what, that's really what, I mean, the depths of those explorations, particularly that second, um, you now access something called the dark feminine and there's whole mythologies and spiritualities, Hecate, Lilith, this kind of deep wellspring of power that femininity and womanhood actually has as a component. And some of the, that side of Algol is like using protection magic, digging into kind of the power of women and womanhood to not only as a container for suffering for the collective, but the suffering that often women go through as both mothers and homemakers and then responsible for so much in history as um, you might say um, receptacles for so much of the pain and suffering of the world. Often we've kind of shunted that onto women and for, you know, so this is where it gets a really depth deep and, 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 and there's a real depth here. And, I would uh, point people to an article by Caitlin Kopic on mm. Sphere and Sundry, where she writes uh, in some of her algal offerings. She's got some great articles about, you could probably just type in Caitlin Kopic algal or Sphere and Sundry algal. And I just deferred her because her wisdom on how to deal with this energy is very much, is very wise in my experience. It helped me a lot just to give her as a kind of a, you want to go to this energy slowly. You don't want to like jump yeah. into it. You need to slowly approach it and give it the power that it respect, demands. Respect it demands. <laughs> and it's, and yeah. so like, that's why, I mean, yeah. I'm like trigger warning, hold on, hold on, hold on. I yeah. mean, so that's what I would just say here in terms of this context. I mean, I think it obviously has to do with the reproductive rights, the struggle of women of all kinds in our current moment and really how we can, um, you know, just in our inner femininity, even like where are we kind of um, maybe hiding from ourselves or what deep, dark kind of even traumatic things that we've gone through. Some, I know a lot of people deal with trauma. That's the nature of it. That's the definition of trauma, right? It stays, right. you know, non-trauma doesn't stay, but trauma actually leaves an imprint and then we have to heal from it, work with it, process it. And so to me, this is relates back to the, um, the conversation earlier about the moon and Scorpio and Venus and Aries and the kind of under pressure nature of those symbols. And then the South node in Scorpio, this unearthing of kind of traumatic. This is why when you said, what are your high level thoughts at the beginning? I was like, look, this is really, really, really serious energy, the most oh, yeah. difficult astrological energy we have. And what do you do with that knowledge? I mean, I think we just have to pray, ask our, the benefic forces of reality, you know, show me what I need to heal. Give me the mercy and strength to get through this time. I grew up in the tie, right? Yeah. I grew up in the Christian tradition. I mean, there's, that's one of the more beautiful traditions that kind of deals with like supplication to the divine and kind of mm -hmm. calling upon divine forces. So, you know, you, whether you use those prayers or whatever prayers you can use, that's what I would really recommend as a kind of protection guide through this, this really challenging uh, moment. So that, that's a little bit on algal. I really just want to say, go read Caitlin Kopic yeah. and then get, you're open now into a, a real deep, deep wellspring of kind of essential human nature. Um, that is, you know, we couldn't even, we could do whole two year series on algal and like a re reading lists. And I mean, it really would require something like that. So, well, yeah, and, and both the Kopics are just a wellspring 
of information when it comes to the decans, the fixed stars, astrology, astrological magic. Um, I'm really in their debt as far as uh, a lot of my education goes and what, what I'm inspired by. Um, and and I, I, you know, just adding to that, um, you know, Austin calls that deck in a string of prayer beads. So, you know, prayer being wow. the, the solution to, <laughs> to some of these forces that are out of our control, that are maybe bigger than us, that are forces of nature. Which, which reflects that those, those litai, the, the, the repentant prayers that follow the rash energy. So that's great advice. You're, you're tapping right into all the, the, the good stuff there. Um, I guess, you know, adding to the Algol um, thing, and, and, I, and I agree, Caitlin is, is the, the expert on that. So I also will defer most of it to, to her. I, as far as the myth goes, though, you know, there, there, you know, Medusa was one of th three sisters, right? And she was raped in the temple of Athena, if, if I'm not mistaken. So. Athena? I think, I think so. By Poseidon in some form. And it, it, to me, there, there's a feminized version of this myth that is, is reflective of potentially Athena empowering Medusa through her transformation. So this is where I think some of the protection energy might come in with Algol. Now, d don't make any mistake, Algol is a very challenging energy that, that should be respect respected with the utmost caution. Um, you know, it is, it, in Chinese astrology, they, they named that fixed star piled up corpses. So that can give you an idea of what we're dealing with here. Um, it can lead to some energy where we can lose our centeredness, right? Like we can literally lose our heads and things of that nature. Um, in its most positive form, from my understanding, my very uh, na nascent understanding, uh, it, it can be a protective influence. Like, so think of the, the freezing stare was maybe, uh, if we think about it in a feminized mythological way, is the way that Medusa was gifted protection after that trauma potentially. Now that's one way. That's one way to think about it potentially. I'm not saying that that is the be all end all, but um, I think that when you look at like Caitlin's materia on Sphere and Sundry, you know you have to basically fill out like a disclaimer of like what are you going to use this for? What is this for protection or is this for for like you know trying to you know mess somebody up or you know, you, there is, there's even like safeguards in buying the material, right? Yeah. Um, so I think she, that, go ahead. I was just gonna say, she, she says they're, they're actually going to do divination. I don't know if this is currently, but when yeah. I was reading, they'll do divination, even if you fill out the forms and you say the right things, they're going to do divination. And only if that confirms will they right. even send it to you. So, right. So, so, if you are not comfortable working directly with that fixed star, I think SJ's original advice is the most sound is submit, surrender, the power of prayer, the power, power of meditation and centeredness to be able to, to keep your wits about you if your trauma points are triggered, right? Because that, that is probably what we're looking at here is there probably will be some collective trauma, individual trauma that is poked or triggered or a nerve that is hit and how do we get to respond within that is the key like how are we going to choose to respond 
we can't always, this is what I think Taurus 3 teaches us. We can't always avoid the difficult experiences. Sometimes there's forces that are greater than us. There's nature that is, is, you know, a force that is bigger than maybe humanity. But how do we respond to it? What choices do you make after the fact? What, how do you maintain your in, inner strength? Um, how do you maintain the actions that you need to take versus the surrendering that you need to do and, and balance those two energies out? Um, so I think that's a pretty good, you know, uh, breakdown, cursory breakdown of, of Taurus 3 and of that Algol energy. Um, yeah, just be real careful with this. This isn't like, don't charge your crystals or something with this energy. That's, that's Sam Reynolds always advised, like, don't charge your crystals on cliffs, but especially not this one. This is probably not one you wanted. It was the last one you wish you charged, should have charged them on, right? That solar yeah. eclipse with Venus and Jupiter. And all yeah, that potentially. That was, that, that was some good energy. That was some benefic energy. Although I'm always curious as to what happens with, you know, ancient astrologers were not super fans of eclipses. And I just, you know, wondered if there was some kind of mitigating factor with all that good energy with an eclipse as well. And maybe there was, I don't know. Um, SJ, let's move forward to Scorpio 3 here and touch on that real quick. Uh, so we have the the seven of cups uh, where we see a figure in the Rider Waite tarot that is looking at all these different um, cups filled with human desires, potentially like maybe fame, fortune, uh, wealth, riches, uh, I don't know, being honored, all these different things. Um, they call this card debauchery. So there's some, there's some interesting things with that. Um, it's a Venus ruled face, uh, Venus, but, but keep in mind, this is Venus in the house of Mars. So potentially glamorizing something that needs to be severed. Uh, my big picture thoughts with this one is that it's almost like all the difficult things that you may pursue to hold on to a, an old form that isn't necessarily vital, almost like like almost like a necrophilia or like a vampiric energy where we're trying to keep something alive through whatever means necessary. I, I see Scorpio and Mars as like Mars and Scorpio is defending the very end of the life force. It's saying, I am on my last breath. I'm going to fight with every power, you know, with everything in my being to preserve the last force of life potentially. Whereas Mars and Aries is saying, I'm going to fight to uh, to sever, and I'm going to sever and separate the, the language we were using earlier, to, to be able to individuate eventually into the body next in Taurus, rather than the separation quality that happens in Scorpio. Um, I think if we're utilizing this energy wisely, it's accepting the fact that something has to be returned to the earth rather than continuing to fight to, to prop up that old energy. What do, you, what do you think about that? Do you have something to add with this this uh, third deck in Scorpio energy? Yeah, yeah. I like it as um, the kind of, uh, I think this is, who's the writer? The Thoth Tarot writer. Um, I'll think of his name in a second, but he's a he's a contemporary expert on Necroli uh, Tarot deck, and, and he has the whole thing using debauch. Uh, mm -hmm. That's the name on the card, the debauch, and the idea is it's a morning after. Mm -hmm. And this is after, you know, Venus and Scorpio may have run a little wild. Maybe it was a little, a little pleasurable in ways that were 
you know, pushing the boundaries or borders of maybe basically we got too drunk or something like this and, and um, dealing with the consequences in the wake of kind of the pursuit of pleasure for its uh, own sake in a, in an unsustainable way. You know, there's, there's the morning after and looking around and saying, Oh shoot, I did that. Um, and then they show you the video and it's like, Oh, it's already on social media. And they <laughs> no. kind of this sort of um, emotional kind of, um, the emotions that uh, exist in the wake of kind of extremes, uh, maybe pleasure, pleasure, particularly around Venus, the theme of Venus in this Deccan. But I want to go back to, um, well, I, just to actually to say one more thing about that, you know, and we can learn from that. I mean, that's the thing of, of, of the idea of healthy shame. I don't know if you've ever heard of a guy, John Bradshaw. No. He was a writer on shame. It was really popular in the 90s and the self-help scene. Oprah had him on a few times, but he has the idea of the shame that's healthy and then the shame that's toxic. And the healthy shame is just the kind of shame, oh, you know, I did something wrong. And there's a sort of certain shame that emerges to kind of help guide behavior into the you know acceptable and the best of ways you know and we learned that there's a phase when we're children where we're kind of shamed like i stole stuff from a grocery store when i was a kid i wanted that candy bar i stole it and i remember my dad the guy brought they brought me out and then he like i had to confront the manager i mean there was a whole shame ritual that happened and i never stole you know um in that way ever again because of that and that was a good process of socialization so i think that there's something here where we are kind of confronted with the emotional hangover mm-hmm. of certain events that um and if we go to the scorpio now it's like uh, well sorry th- those emotional hangovers sometimes are very instructive and edifying in terms of helping us grow um yeah. But this is the Scorpionic. This is the kind of deeper rooted. I've always thought about Mars and Scorpio as the kind of power that comes when we're aligned and the, the deep, the deep ways. Like when someone is, um, uh, what do they say? The most powerful thing is a belief. You know, it's like um, the belief. I forgot the exact quote, but it's like the belief will change the world. Like mm. if the ideas when that can change the world more than anything else is an idea. And I, you might just say a feeling here when someone is knows and they feel strong and it's deep down, like, this is what I need to do. That propels action. Actually, that, that makes action, gives it legs and allows for successful action. And in fact, when you don't have that, sometimes it's even hard to do things, right? Oh, I want to be this, but if there's no deep rooted kind of motivation, right. it's hard to actualize. And so I think of this as like, the combinations of those two things you have um you know the the deep-rooted actions and then and then venus kind of has to kind of mix in with that and it can be just be um, it can just to go back to the morning after it's like we kind of maybe we're rushing into pleasure as a way to kind of deflect from um going deeper you know and so it's like just give me the drinks yeah you know and i by the way i'm not a drinker but i'm just using a drinking analogy here because of debauch and this idea venus is pleasures you know and, um, although i will say i've i've had numerous clients with the prominent placements in this deck and that did struggle with with addiction so the, I, I do think it is part of um the themes um and overcoming those things with with this uh with this deck so maybe that's another thing that could be brought in is is getting rid of those old habits that may be limiting us and and not just those old narratives, but the old desires, right? That are keeping us in bondage, right? That are keeping us from being liberated. Yeah. And just to say, I mean, my moon's here. I am a sober person because of my addic- 
addiction it runs in my family but i had to i'm a re- in recovery so i mean just another person you've met to confirm that and yeah. um uh just to, i, I want to say this is part of when you when anybody who's maybe gone through recovery or any kind of healing you know that that's really where it goes is what are the deeper hit, kind of deep rooted beliefs deep rooted emotional responses that um have to be addressed in order to kind of have a uh, equilibrium around um, how to basically be, they call it an emotional midget, and then you become an emotional kind of toddler and you kind of learn how to process deep emotions um, uh, rather than going to a drug or uh, whatever behavior it is that would you would escape. So right. it's that's the opportunity is like, instead of us, right. this is the consequences right. of choosing the escape maybe, right. but you know, the, op- the opportunity is you get to really go deep to the kind of programming that underlies some of the maybe addictive tendencies so that those addictive tendencies aren't needed anymore because other skills are brought in yeah. other, other ways of being are embraced, you know? So, you know, SJ, I love what you're saying about shame and, and the function that a healthy version of some of those, what we consider negative emotions can, can be useful. And a, a lot, Claire, Aligning Light is talking about, this is so true with the shame stuff. I recently was working through some shame about being exploited and my advisor said, the shame just means I'm never going to allow that thing to happen again. And that helped. Yeah, I, you know, I, I feel like every emotion has a purpose. It serves a purpose. You know, I heard my, my astrology teacher, Chut Bhava, was talking about fear and how a little bit of fear kept you alive at, at one point in our you know, evolution or whatever, or even today, you know, like, um, and I think that it's really comes down to the the balance and figuring out if it's like you were talking about, is it toxic or is it, you know, nurturing? And one, I think that the mistake that we make is this, this came up in my Taurus three research, uh, my Taurus research in general, that this is what Liz Green talks about with the story of King Minos, right? And the Minotaur and the bull, where just very briefly, Minos prayed to Poseidon to to be given a sign that he was the rightful heir to his throne because he was competing with his siblings. And Minos or Poseidon sent him this glorious bull out of the sea with the caveat that he needed to uh, sacrifice that bull after he was you know given this sign. Well, Minos, you know, in, in maybe in true Taurus negative Taurus fashion, was like. Mm, this is a beautiful animal. I think I'm going to keep this for my own flock and then put it into, uh, you know, do a merchant's switch. They were talking about, do put a different bull in there. And this really angered Poseidon quite a bit. And he set a, a series of things in motion that caused Minos's uh, wife to fall in love with this bull and, and copulate with it. And that created this minotaur that was eventually repressed and put into this labyrinth as this monstrosity of what could happen when we repress some of these desires. So one of the things that I think that that's the short version, I'm going to go into a much longer version of this in the Deccan's webinar. But but what I will say is that, and this is, seems to reflect what you're talking about here is, it's not about repressing all of our feelings, emotions and instincts, because if we do that, if we try to intellectualize everything and not feel these things, it can fester into this and turn into this labyrinth monster potentially right and and if right because if we, if, we, if we acknowledge it and bring it to the light and and accept it 
in wholeness, that's when it can be dealt with in a healthy way rather than than having it turn into this thing that becomes a greater power over us in the darkness, right? So that's something I think to consider. And, and man, really, yeah. That to me, Liz Green, I don't know if you read Liz Green, but she always just nails it right on the head. You know, like as far as, far as like her knowledge of myth and bringing in the, the psychology of that, but also the her ability to almost pre-anticipate uh, some of the Hellenistic revival techniques just just merely through myth was incredible. Like, so I <laughs> just... Um, so, so, yeah, you know, dealing with our shame, dealing with our fear, dealing with anything that we've repressed, our repressed trauma. And, and, but the warning that I think SJ and I are trying to give everyone here too is that just like when you're working with a therapist to deal with these things, you don't want to just unearth all of it and then just leave it without a container, right? So maybe that's what Saturn is trying to do here. It's squaring this eclipse is saying, here's the boundary, here's the limitation, here's the container to contain all of this unearthed trauma so that it doesn't just wreak, wreak havoc on our lives, on other people's lives, on everything. Uh, and that's where the patience part comes in. If you've unearthed the trauma at this eclipse, you don't have to resolve all of it in a day. It takes months, years, weeks sometimes to resolve a trauma that was created in weeks, months, years, decades, and maybe that's so deep-seated that it's just a part of your, maybe almost reflection of your inner child and all of these things. That takes time, that takes patience, that takes forgiveness of yourself uh, as well. And, and not only the people that have caused that trauma, you know, regardless of where we're, we, when, when we get to that point or not, but being gentle with yourself through that process is really important. And I think that's going to help us 100% navigate this eclipse with grace, right? Absolutely. Very wise words there, Spencer. And I, yeah, trauma, dealing with trauma is a, is a heavy thing and it's, it requires professional care often. And, you know, so I would encourage people if you're, if it's out of control um, and the emotions are so heavy and we're, you're maybe floored or really the self-talk, if that gets so intense that, you know, you can use, um, just get, find some people that are, uh, you can relate with, uh, around the particular traumas that have been unearthed. You can probably find communities online or message boards. Books have really helped me when I was, I've been in similar situations in my life, finding that, that I love books by therapists because mm -hmm. often you can get like, I got so much information. There was little workbooks in the back and I've done a bunch of those um, for my various issues, you know? And so, but finding some tools. And I think this is the promise of that Mars trine. Uh, yeah. where you can actually kind of, maybe there's some action that will be shown here if it gets too intense, where even you can use Mars to distract yourself if you need to. Sometimes that's the best way to deal with the emotional overwhelm. It's like, okay, I'm going to wash the dishes. I'm going to go mm -hmm. cut wood in the yard. Exercise. Maybe not with an eclipse. You don't put down the, <laughs> yeah. the, the tools. But, yeah, don't, um, don't just fire up the chainsaw. Don't fire I just say, just to clarify, I mean, I wouldn't recommend charging the crystals even on that last solar eclipse. I was just yeah. a joke earlier, but just, sure. just to be clear. Um, but, you know, something you can like distract yourself with the hands 
get out of the mind, get out of the emotions of the body and just get into some kind of hand, even, even, even around water, like cleaning dishes like Mars and Pisces or, yeah. you know, um, what else could we say with, with Pisces, with Pisces and fish, go fishing, yeah. um, you know, or kill the fish. You know, that maybe that's a little dark. If I'm a vegetarian, just for full disclosure, but um, but so any anyway, just to say, I really appreciate you saying that, Spencer, and letting people hear that message that this could be the intensities of this moment. There is a risk of overwhelm, and I think it's good to pre-plan. Um, and we're, we're we're pretty much in this this door now, so it probably there's a sense of maybe what's emerging already, but mm -hmm. making sure that there's, you're safe, you have safe people, you have safe tools and resources to kind of grapple with this. And I'll be doing, I'm going to be planning on, you know, what is it Monday, you know, just trying to make sure I'm safe and comfortable and, and, you know, pray, meditate. You can do, there's mantra work. K2 mantras are one thing I really like um, for a K2 eclipse. I'll probably start putting those on soon mm. and just, you know. And with K2, do you, is that the one where you'd use Durga uh, or is this, or do you have a specific, I'm trying to remember there, there was something on Sphere and Sundry where they talked about uh, setting up a ritualistic offering to either Durga, the demon slayer. Um, I don't know. You can, I would say go check out Sphere and Sundry's website. They, they, there is a treat, their treatments of eclipses and, and ritualistic things of eclipses is really good. And something that I, I follow along with. Um, for, for me, just to say, I like music. So I, I find the mantras, there's some that are more like monkish, like, oh, yeah, I'm you know, it's just like, but then there's some that actually have sitar and there's, it's more like a celebration, the beauty. It's the beautiful version. And that's what I like. I like the beauty because there's, there's hope in that. There's hope in the beautiful music. And yeah. um, my, my advice is just put go to YouTube or whatever streaming service and just put Ketu Mantra and then find the one you resonate with and then just maybe add that a little bit to your diet over the next few days to just, it may, it may hit something. Um, nice. But read Caitlin for sure. Go to Caitlin first. She's going to have a high level treatment of this and, and really expl explicate, you know, what's going on with, with that. For me, it just calms me. It just, I feel the power of, of it. And it, I just, it's more like, um, it's getting out of the head, getting out of, you know, the scenarios in my mind and just kind of grounding with soft, comfortable sounds that are, mm. that are repeating as a way to kind of just, um, distract. Maybe this is the, the <laughs> debauch, you know, it's not too, I don't do it like all day, every day, just, I add a little bit of it into my diet. Well, that um, might be reestablishing some of the rhythms, you know, naturally that, that have been disturbed through the, the, eclipse you know taurus being associated with rhythmic life um and also uranus being present there has just disturbed all of our kind of quote-unquote natural material rhythms on some level so that's good advice um bringing in like the rhythm of music uh you know one last thing i'll add to that treatment is that the third decan of scorpio that daimon is is kairos the opportune moment and you know that's funny to me is the story of Kairos is that Kairos has a little lock of hair on his forehead, right? That can only be clasped from the front. Like not even Zeus himself can catch it from behind, right? So it, that, that really speaks to, to, you know, being able to take advantage of op your opportunity. But if it's past, nothing is going to bring it, you know, necessarily bring it back. And you, coming to terms with that 
is what is going to lead to the healthy relationship with the cycle of birth and death rather than one that that we you know utilize all these different uh i don't know illusions to try to make something vital that no longer is so the other thing i'll say is if you need help reach out you know you don't have to go through all this stuff alone if you're feeling alone there's there's always resources to reach out whether it's your local astrologer a friend a hotline whatever it is you know um, the communities that you're a part of um, i think that that's really important around this period of time if you're feeling really un unstable or off your center um, again you might find some solace with connecting with people in that regard okay sj can we do a, a, a quick treatment on the, the last quarter to the new moon here? Sure. And then we'll finish off with a, with an animal and a hexagram. Awesome. All right. Doing okay on time? And then we... Yeah. We're okay, good. Cool. Yeah. We can do that for sure. Thank you everyone here as well for uh, hanging with us today with our a little bit of our Mercury retrograde snafu in the beginning, but that's, you know, that's how it goes. <laughs> it's Taurus 3 sometimes it's, and also Mercury retrograde. Um, so uh, do me a favor if you're out there in digital land uh, hit the like button on this video if you're new here please subscribe to the channel um, and that can that can be a really great boon for uh, getting the, these messages with sj and myself out into the world and hopefully maybe uh, bringing some peace of mind to to people who may need it as well um, so i'm looking here at the square the last quarter moon square uh, on may the 22nd with the sun newly ingressed into Gemini and the moon in Pisces, first decan of Pisces. Um, any quick thoughts about the astrology that we're experiencing around this period of time? Yeah, my thoughts are um, the thing about this moon is that by the time the moon comes into Aries, mm -hmm. Mars is going to be there. And this, um, I'm more interested in the three day it's it's a it's just a Mars a Moon and Aries transit that takes place, which will be um, kind of peak Aries potentially for this cycle because both benefics yeah. will be with Mars, just as Mars is ingressed and the Moon, the great trigger of the sky, will come trigger that. And so I think uh, you know thinking about our our Aries sector, and I would just pull up your whole sign house chart, find the house that Aries comprises, and just get your head around a little bit what's happening, what's the new activity that's emerged in those houses particularly with a mind toward this Wednesday, I think it's a, like a Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, or Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday mm -hmm. zone um, that's going to happen during this lunation cycle after the eclipse. And so um, this is a big, big transit. It's going to be a big, big deal. And for that, those particular topics to settle into Jupiter and Aries, which is still fresh energy with Mars joining Jupiter, the only time in Jupiter and Aries the only time while Jupiter is in Aries with Mars will be this six weeks this um, this summer. So you might think about this as a unique opportunity for Aries again with the greater benefic that has night triplicity rulership in Aries joined by the domicile ruler for six weeks. Of course, then with Venus in this lunar trigger here, Venus will be in its own face by this time and in its own Egyptian term. And so I think that the kind of uh, over exuberant rush for pleasures and the kind of impatience that you were referring to earlier maybe now we're able to ride that a little bit and know how to deploy some of the venus and aries here i really like this transit and um, i'm just excited for folks to be able to enjoy it for their aries their aries sectors 
Yeah, check, check out the Aries part of your chart with all this huge stack up. And these are traditional planets too. So this is a, tr a true, true stellium here, right? Um, you know, and I think that just, you know, if we look at the couple days prior to that, last quarter moons are always sort of these, according to Dane Rudyard, these kind of existential crises where we're trying to maybe let something go or shift a perspective towards whatever wants to happen or be born at the new cycle. Um, I will say that in between th this full moon and the next uh, quarter moon, we're going to have a, a, a Kazemi of Mercury. So, so there will be maybe a download of new information at a very powerful degree of Gemini, like a zero degrees Gemini. So I think that what we're going to see is a, an explosion of options that we could potentially have um, around this last quarter moon. And especially with the square with Pisces, there may be this desire to you know go internally and find out again what we were talking about the why of why are you pursuing what you're pursuing you've got all these options which one resonates with you on the your quote-unquote higher purpose level or on a way that that speaks to you spiritually rather than just doing it because it was offered right um so so be careful with that uh, and then as you know as you're pointing out with the moon triggering all of the the airy stuff that's when after going through that internal process that internal external process uh, then you can take action on these things with with the the, the knowledge that you've gone through the, that reflection process um do you do you have any quick thoughts on on mars and jupiter coming together in aries what do you think that could bring for us I think so. I just want to um, relate this to our earlier conversation as a kind of metaphor or maybe a good kind of stand in um, hypothetical, let's say, when you're when we're confronted with the trauma of the moon and Scorpio and the unearthing of maybe like things we were powerless over or events that, that, that were so traumatic, we couldn't process for decades or years yeah. or whatever. When, when that work is done, when it's come up to be seen and felt and acknowledged and processed bodily and emotionally and all of that, the promise is that it's the, the new action actually is born from the pain and the healing, the necessary healing work that the trauma brings actually um, undergirds and, and um, is actually a, maybe a necessary condition often for the kind of pure Aries action that can be the beautiful expression of that new beginning. And a stepping into our power, right, from a place of heal, of being seen and being and healed, let's say, or integrated is my favorite word. We integrate yeah. and we carry it with us, you know, um, but it's we, we now uh, have kind of brought it over to our side. And so the, all I would say is that this is kind of the prop. This is what we if we can just get through this eclipse, you know, mm. um, it's not only this transit. Um, but there is some really cool astrology in June and July, some really sweet opportunities to like, just um, enjoy this, this suffering that we've been able to endure, you know, and so, but back to Mars and, and Jupiter, I just would say, yeah, the force of action, get ambitious, get into action, the way to kind of um, engage ambition is to do and I've been actually tweeting about that um, verse from James, I think, uh, faith without works is dead. Yeah. So now it's the works time um, to kind of, and that, and I don't mean to, I mean, the Christian tradition is problematic. A lot of us grew up in that and there's issues sure. with it, but I've always loved that idea that 
we clarify what the belief is, but the, the only way to really show an evidence of clarification is to actually start acting. What do they say? Like, show me what you do and I'll know you more than if you just tell me what you think. It's like your actions are really evidence of what our beliefs are. Our actions are evidence of what our beliefs are. So I'm thinking this would be a great time for the some of that alignment. Um, and we've talked about this already, but these openings, the, I don't know, show me who I am, change my belief system. Hmm. Now that's going to kind of align into some of the tangible action. So really what we've already said is kind of would be my, would be some of my, my well, major and I'll, thoughts. I'll have to check in with you SJ, because this will, this is an angular stack up for you. There's going to be, uh, be some interesting learning experiences for, from there, I'm sure. So. I'll have to check in with you around the end of May here. Please do. Um, yeah. Okay. And then just to wrap up the astrological part of it, uh, I will have a new, another guest coming on that I'm still in the process of booking for this next new moon, which we see in Gemini. So this lunar cycle that we're going through will be completed and reborn on May the 30th uh, at nine degrees of Gemini. So potentially a, a new, um, a new way to diversify your interests or to a new learning period or something of that nature. Uh, Venus will be out of Aries and in uh, her own domicile. So it, this seems to be a, a, a little bit more of an improvement potentially uh, as far as like, you know, like getting along with people. <laughs> so, so, uh, so there you go. And again, we'll break that down uh, in the next one there, but all right, so I'm going to just add a quick thought here. Sorry, I don't, I, it will be quite, quite short. I just want to point out for folks that the sextile between Aries and Gemini that you see in this chart, and you have it in the charts that we're, we were looking at before because of the, I think the moon had in, has ingressed into Gemini. Uh, by the, it is in Gemini when that, that Aries stellium that I was just, that we were just looking at, um, um, when that happens, the moon will be in Gemini. But this to me is um, these degrees and these these sectors and Mars in particular um, will play a huge role later in the year with a long retrograde eight months in Gemini. So I just want to just leave the people with this um, thinking about the next lunation cycle that's seeded by this Gemini moon and the Aries pile up. There could be something as well in terms of hints and themes. It might be good preparation time. And this goes back to what we were saying earlier, preparing for maybe the rest of this year. I think these months are key for that, and particularly this next lunation cycle, because we're going to return to all of these themes later with a Mars retrograde. Well, so just to say attention. that, I think it's important to get our heads around it as we're grappling with this year's astrology. Well, yeah, and this, that's, a, that's great advice, because if, if you maybe if you potentially pay more attention around this period of time and maybe even slow down a little bit, uh, there may be less to unravel. Uh, when Mars turns retrograde in Gemini. Um, so, so try to plant good seeds around this period of time, I would say, right? Yeah, and right. these are real active energies. I mean, Gemini and Mars are fast, quick. I mean, you may be really pulled in, in Northern Hemisphere summer. I mean, it's already happening. I go outside, people are buzzing around. Yeah. Especially today, Jupiter came into Aries. So anyhow, yeah. Okay, all right. So SJ, we have one little tradition that we do here on the live streams. We do uh, some integrative divination with, uh, I pull an animal to, to, for us to meditate on, and then an I Ching reading. Um, the animal that we got was the hummingbird, uh, which is a, a beautiful little bird. Um, and some of the notes I had with this is, 
uh, lightness of being, adaptability, enjoying life. They are very territorial birds. So something to keep in mind, um, especially in late Taurus season, is uh, you know they will they will fight for for land or for the good breeding grounds or whatnot. Um, the text that I utilize talks about standing up for yourself and uh, doing things maybe quickly with speed, but also with adaptability because they can fly in multiple directions. So um, you may have to go sideways or backwards for a minute, but eventually you'll get where you're going. Um, they're beautiful little birds, uh, so that can reflect just appreciating beauty, having some optimism. Um, they talk about burning the candle at both ends with this with this animal. They don't really rest very often, so that might be something to think about as we get move forward with um, with uh, this energy. Is if you need a break, uh, and I'll tell you, I, I need a break. <laughs> like, um, try to find some time to incorporate it in, maybe even if it's just a short rest, because they, they rest for shorter periods of time and then go off and do their thing. So even if you can just get a few moments of peace uh, in, in the grand scheme of things, that can be really useful as well. Um, and do you have hummingbirds over where you're living now? I haven't seen one, but I wouldn't be surprised, but I haven't seen one. Um, I know where I grew up, we had hummingbirds. We had a hummingbird feeder in Texas and there were always, yeah. we would, they would like hang out on those feeders. Um, so, cool. but in Albania, I'm not sure. Um, you know, what's funny about the hummingbird and, and it represents kind of like in some schools of thought, like joy and enjoying the sweetness of life. I actually had never seen one or consciously Thought, knew that I had seen a hummingbird until I was in my early 20s. And I meditated on that and I was like, wow, uh, maybe I've been viewing the world through this negative lens for such a long period of time. And maybe now I'm only at this, into my burgeoning adulthood, able to appreciate some of the, the beauties of life. So, I, so maybe that's something, a message with that as well. Um, the hectogram that I got was number 18, which roughly translates to repair. Uh, it also can translate to decay, remedying, restoration, working on what has been spoiled, which I think really reflects some of the trauma work that we were talking about. There's a story in the I Ching about a son returning home to take care of the disorder in the family business due to the illness of a parent. Um, so delay or corruption produced by pra past practices, man, that, that really works with Taurus 3. Like maybe there's something that we we did that wasn't well thought out that we're going to have to repair and we're going to have to like, you know, go and remedy this maybe through prayer, maybe through hard physical work. Who knows? Um, let me read the lines here. There's three changing lines and we're changing to hexagram 37, the family, the clan, the household, close knit groups playing your part or your role. Uh, line number one says remedying the ills caused by the father. If there is a son, no blame rests upon the departed father. There is danger, but in the end, good fortune. So in the, in the translation that I like, which is Jack M. Balkin's Law of Changes, a great book, he talks about old patterns of behavior that have outgrown their usefulness. So sticking to the old ways has led to decay. And then we might be in, in a rut, which we have this fixed T-square that we're dealing with, right? Um, but that the decay might only be in the be beginning stages where it is easier to remedy potentially. Um, let me go through the rest of these lines and then we'll, we'll, wrap, we'll wrap and reflect. 
Line number two says, remedying the ills caused by the mother, it is not appropriate to be steadfast. So this is one of the nuances of the I Ching that can be challenging at first when you're studying it is that when you have multiple lines that say like almost contradictory things, what are you doing? I tend to read it from the bottom up and see it as a narrative and a story. Um, and this is talking about a need for flexibility and moderation to overcome old pa patterns and habits, which I think we could see in the hummingbird. It's especially important to be uh, careful because they talk about with this line that the changes that you're going through, maybe the skin shedding, could affect others that you care about. The reforms that you're trying to put in, it's not just about you. There are other people involved, which I think is really important. I know I'm feeling that in my life, that the, the, the changes that have been going in my life have had an, a residual effect on my family and, and other people. So uh, it is definitely important to keep that in mind. And then finally, Line number five says, remedying the ills caused by the father, one obtains praise. That's line number five. So these reforms have been needed for a long time. And you can, it, it says you can now change things for the better by taking responsibility. Ask for help if needed. And then these reforms, these changes, they will, they will lead to um, something good. You know, something that was, will be a relief, a liberation, something of that nature. Uh, what do you think about that? reading that we got here from the I Ching. What do you, what are you, what are you feeling with that? I feel like just, I mean, the theme, I feel like we've been touching on all, um, I'll talk here has just been around the kind of chrysalis maybe, and the kind of process might be the best word, the process of healing. And that from challenge requires action and kind of um, convalescent action and then kind of reconstruction to just get onto the app. Uh, the acts of living, you know, yeah. and sometimes there's there's periods where we have to tend to woundedness and challenge and difficulty. And so I love that because it seems like it's a very optimistic kind of narrative there in some ways of just coming back to repair and then just getting kind of a fresh start um, mm -hmm. with some of that repair work. And then, you know, that's the Aries pile up that we're seeing in this lunation cycle and maybe some of the Jupiter and Aries optimism. If we look at that in the context of Jupiter and Capricorn, December, 2019, and everything that happened as a result of that ingress, and then Saturn and Capricorn, Saturn and Aquarius. Now we're starting to have that new uh, moon phase of the Jupiter uh, Saturn cycle with Jupiter now in a sign with some real clear dignity and Aries. So even the context of this collective repair and the collective sort of new beginnings that we're still, we're in the process of, but this may be kind of a period where some green shoots can exist. Um, I, think the, season, I think yeah. the weight of that statement can't be uh, overstated, you know, because think of the difference in reality from like December 2019 to today. <laughs> like, and we went through that Jupiter Saturn conjunction and at the zero Aquarius point, ushering a new elemental age. Um, yeah. We're only starting to understand what that meant and the weight of it. So be patient with yourself, uh, you know, one day at a time. Remember that these are these meta cycles, uh, this human life, this eclipse cycle is just a mere blip in the, like a larger life and a larger existence. So if you if you keep that in mind, it can be uh, I don't know, I think that that can be healing as well. And, and that could be most pacifying on some level, too, is seeing yourself in in the the bigger scope of it all. Um, 
Well, SJ, this was amazing. This was such a great talk. I, I, I've been wanting to have you on the show for quite some time. I just really appreciate your wisdom and your knowledge. And this went even, even better than I could have hoped. This is, uh, this, I love when we get, um, an exalted sun and an exalted moon together. There's some magic that can be made <laughs> with those two combinations, I think. So I would love to have you back as a guest again, if you'd be willing, this was wonderful. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. And it's just an honor to be with you and to be with your audience. And, you know, thanks for bringing me and, um, you know, some of the deep reflections we had, I think were, were just very um, useful to, for me as I'm, I'm thinking about my own preparation for this energy. So it was very nice to be able to talk about it as I'm about to go into it personally as yeah. well. So thank you for that, um, that opening and that opportunity to do that. Oh, it's my pleasure. And and thank you for bringing, um, you know, just the practicality and wisdom into it as well. And the, the healing uh, that you're bringing to the table is really, really a beautiful thing. So visit SJ, www.sjanderson with an O at the end, 144.com. And also follow him at Twitter and Instagram with that same handle and support his work because man, I can only imagine getting reading from you. We'll have to, we'll have to trade readings or something because uh, yeah. you, you're really great, man. So uh, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you everybody in the audience that bared with some of our technical difficulties and then added so many beautiful comments. I'm, I'm just kind of going back through all this wonderful chat. I'm going to have to go through and in Mercury retrograde style, read through this entire chat too, because there's so much good stuff going on there. So grateful for all of you as a community. Um, do me a huge favor if you can like this video and subscribe if you're not a subscriber. That can be great um, to get this message out to the masses. And uh, sign up for the Deccans of Taurus if you want to go on an even deeper dive with Taurus. So that's what I've got for you today. Again, thank you so much. Be, be gentle with yourselves. Remember that this is, you know, probably some going to bring up some stuff. And if you're patient with yourself and with other people, you'll get through it gracefully. And um, it'll be the dawn of maybe a new, a new narrative, a new start, right? And that, that could be a beautiful, liberating thing. So thank you so much. I appreciate all of you today. Thank you, SJ. And um, we'll see you next time, my friends. Take care. Peace.